0: Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Mark chapter 9, the book of Mark chapter 9. We continue our study through the New Testament. And as a continuation of where we left off last week in chapter 8, remember Jesus. He's still speaking with his disciples and those who follow him. And so we begin our study here in chapter 9 in verse 1. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste Death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, it's very important to understand and remember because we're spoiled as new covenant believers today in the era of 2023 AD. We have the full counsel of the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation, and everything in between. We're so spoiled today. But for the Mark 9 timeline, for the Mark chapter 9 era, there are certain things that have yet to be taught about immortality, certain things that have yet to be taught about death having no sting, about Hades having no victory, about the mortal putting on immortality, about the corrupt putting on incorruption. And these are things that are going to be taught in the future from Mark chapter 9. In the future from Mark chapter 9, they're going to be taught by another vessel by the name of Paul. And presently, in the Mark Nine era, he's not Paul. His name is Saul, and he's sided with the religious establishment. In Mark chapter nine, Saul, a future vessel, he's presently sided with the religious establishment because the Damascus Road—that's a future event from Mark chapter nine. Very important to understand. And so Jesus, he's teaching about immortality, and these further understandings—they're going to come from the from the disciples and Peter, John, and and James but they're going to come from the disciples when they become apostles and empowered by the Holy Spirit and then there's another apostle by the name of Paul you see and these are things because you know here for the era of 2023 AD you know we're so spoiled because we have the full counsel of the word of God Genesis to Revelation you see and so Jesus here in verse two look what happens now after six days Jesus took Peter James and John now very interesting Very interesting because Peter, James, and John is the same group that went to the house of Jairus. Remember Jairus in chapter 5? Remember, he was the ruler of the synagogue and his daughter was presumed to be dead. Remember, we studied that in chapter 5. If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through Mark chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And here we are in chapter 9. Get yourself caught up. But in chapter 5, we see that there's Jairus and it was Peter, James, and John that the Lord took to the house of Jairus. And don't forget, in the same chapter, in chapter 5, there was also the woman, female, woman, female, who had been bleeding for 12 years. She's been bleeding for 12 years. In chapter 5, she'd been bleeding for 12 years, and she gets healed by the Lord. And then we see the girl, the daughter of Jairus, who's the ruler of synagogue, also female, daughter of the ruler of the synagogue, and she was age 12, you see, she was age 12 and had presumably died. So let's put things in perspective. Remember our study in chapter uh, chapter 5. So when we put things in perspective, understand what's happening. Where you have Jairus's wife is pregnant. You see, she gives birth and then boom, it's a girl. You see, boom, it's a girl. Boom, cut the umbilical cord. Fresh baby girl, praise be to the Lord. And that's in the home of Jairus. But meanwhile, baby girl is born. Meanwhile, underneath the same moon, in an undisclosed location, there's a beautiful woman who begins her period. The menstrual cycle begins. But then the menstrual cycle, it doesn't stop. She keeps bleeding. And according to the law, the law of Moses, according to the law, she is unclean. You see? And because she keeps bleeding, what does that also tell us? She's not having babies, you see. And she goes to doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor, procedure after procedure after procedure, and spending all her money. And what happens? No healing. And so, meanwhile, with Jairus under the under the roof of Jairus, the ruler of synagogue, baby girl, she's age one, two, three, four, five, and then you have this other female woman at an undisclosed location and she's still bleeding year one two three four five and then what happens in chapter five for such a time as that in chapter five you know the 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 woman who's bleeding and it's not stopping she's at wit's end doctor after doctor no healing She's at wit's end, the complete end of self, end of resources. She spent all her money, just, you know, just straight up exhaustion. And baby girl, she's become very ill. And what happens when we look at chapter five, Papa, Jairus, the, 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 the ruler of synagogue, he runs to Jesus. He runs to Jesus. And then you see the woman, she can't stop bleeding She's exhausted of everything. She runs to Jesus. And no longer at an undisclosed location, the two, Jairus and the woman who's bleeding, the two, they converge at Jesus. You have the bleeding woman, and then you have the head of the synagogue, Jairus. And this happens at the 12th year. The 12th year. Baby girl, what happens with baby girl? She succumbs to her illness, and she breathes no more. And then the woman, she's bleeding for 12 years, and she's healed by Jesus. And then the girl, you know, the daughter of Jairus, she's living for 12 years, and she's presumably dead. And then what happens is our Lord, he takes Peter, James, and John. And they follow Jairus to his home. And Jesus tells everybody to leave. First of all, Jesus says, you know, everybody, when, when you know, when, when Jairus comes and the woman who's bleeding, when she's healed, she, you know, uh, Jesus, you know, he says to everybody, when they follow Jairus, he says to everybody, hey, you stay here. And then he says, Peter, James, John, come on, let's go. And so you have these three, they go up. But then they get to the house of Jairus. And he tells everybody to leave. Jesus tells everybody to leave and what happens everybody leaves except for a very 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 small remnant an incredibly intimate setting and what happens baby girl she's healed of death you see complete and total healing the doctors the medical professionals where are they where are they and so you look at these two females these two beautiful beautiful females 12 years healed. You see? 12 years healed. You have the adult woman. She starts her menstrual cycle. And it doesn't stop. Day after day. Week after week. Month after month. Year after year. It doesn't stop for 12 years. And as far as the timeline goes, everything converges on the 12th year. Baby girl, she dies, presumably. And then... The uh, the woman, she's bleeding for 12 years and she's at with the exhaustion of self. Just, you know, she's all her resources gone. She's gone to doctor after doctor. And then you have Jairus, the dad, baby girl's dad, running to Jesus. You know, heal my daughter, heal my daughter. And the two converge at Jesus. And on the 12th year, what do we see? We see healing one year for every tribe of Israel. 12 years, 12 tribes. And with the two women, we see two things, life and blood. Life, you know, baby girl, you know, she's living. And then you see the adult woman, she's bleeding, can't stop bleeding. So you see life, blood, life, blood, life, blood, life, blood, life, blood, life, blood, life, blood. life, blood life blood life blood life blood life blood 12 tribes and then you see death and no blood and then you see life and no blood very important to understand what's happening And sometimes, you know, I wish I could speak to certain segments of the church. Sometimes I wish I could speak to the women only. Sometimes the men only. Sometimes the boys only. Sometimes the girls only. Sometimes teenager teenagers only. Sometimes teenage boys only. Teenage girls only. Sometimes old people. Sometimes old women only. Sometimes old guys only. Sometimes you know the old people. Sometimes married people. Sometimes just pastors only. Sometimes scratch the pastors, elders only. You see, sometimes worship leaders only. But then sometimes I wish I could speak to Jews only. Jews only. All of Israel. All of Israel. Jews only. Twelve tribes. And of Jew only, sometimes I wish I could speak to the men only. Sometimes I wish I could speak to the women only. And sometimes the rabbis only. And sometimes the Talmudic rabbis only. And for my Jewish friends, I love you, I love you, I love you. For my Jewish friends, go to thewayunderground.com and go to the Jewish section. And what happens, you can hear the law of Moses. Very important to understand when we see the life and the blood, the life and the blood, one for every tribe. One year for every tribe with these two beautiful women in Mark chapter 5. And so if you're Jewish, go and listen to those studies. But at the same time, go tell all your friends. And so what happens, pastors today, pastors today, they're very blind. Because what happens, you know, they start, they formulate these ideas because of this, because of that. You know, the bleeding woman was Gentile. That's what they say. The so called learned class. Well, because of this, because she shouldn't have been there, because she's unclean, that means she's Gentile. And so what happens? They formulate these carnal theories and they exclude Israel because of their carnal theories. And rather than repent of their error, what happens is they make it worse by building on top of that error. And then they create theories such as, you know, what's called supersessionism or replacement theology. And it's a theology that excludes Israel, you see. And they can call, you know, they can be pastors. They can can call it all they want. They can call it theology all they want. They can say that it's doctrine. It comes from the Bible. They can call it that. But it's poison. When you understand formula, you realize it's poison. Straight up poison. You see? I mean, you take the late Tim Keller. He just died. You take him, his brand of theology, straight up poison. Straight up poison. But as for him, you know, for me personally, as for him, before his last breath, I hope he repented. I hope he repented and believed in the biblical Jesus. But that was his choice to make, you know, for himself, you see. I hope he chose wisely at the end of his life before he breathed his last breath. And so it's very important to understand, you know, the life and the blood, you know, 12 tribes, you know, one for every year. And you see the converging of these two beautiful females. One is older, one is younger. 12 years in Mark chapter 5. And so for these three witnesses that, that Jesus, that he took up to the house of Jairus, Peter, James, and John. You see, and remember in verse 1, he's beginning to speak about immortality. You see, immortality. And so here we are in Mark chapter 9. And Jesus just spoke about a generation of people not tasting death. We see that in verse 1. He's starting to teach about immortality. And this is something that is going to be further understood by the teachings of Paul. When he starts teaching about death, having no sting. And so in Mark chapter 9, we have the backdrop of these two beautiful females. And what happens is, you know, these two beautiful females converging at year 12. And, you know, the three witnesses of the only three witnesses of both accounts with the two beautiful females, both accounts, you know, with, you know, in in Mark 9 and Mark 5, the only three. Peter James and John you see Peter James and John where they see the healing with the lady who's the the beautiful woman who's bleeding for 12 years but then they even see that death has no sting with the daughter of Jairus you see? And so here, in, that was in Mark 5. But then here in Mark 9, in verse 1, we see what the Lord is teaching about uh, immortality. And he takes those same three witnesses that went, you know, the disciples, Peter, James, and John, having just spoke about immortality and not tasting death. And it's after six days, after six days. In verse 1, after six days, you see? Day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5 day six. And what day is next? You see? What day is next? You have day one, two, three, four, five, six. What day is next? The seventh day. What did God do on the seventh day? He rested. He rested. And we see that in Genesis chapter two. And what is the Sabbath? Rest. Exodus 16. Who is Lord of the Sabbath? It's Jesus. We see that in Mark chapter two. Remember our study in chapter two? And so our Lord, he takes these same three witnesses here in chapter 9. And what happens with them? They witness even more. And we see here in verse 2, now after six days. See, six days. Remember? One, two, three, four, five, six. What day is next? The seventh day. But then we're going to mention some, uh, a little bit more on this. So just, you know, keep that in mind. Keep that in, you know, on one side of your mind when we're in chapter, in, in verse two here. So after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he, on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Transfigured here in the Greek is metamorpho, which, you know, to transform and to change. And, you know, it's where we get the word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. And sometimes, you know, there are sects of Christianity. There are sects of Christianity and they don't believe in a physical transformation. And, you know, it blows me away. It blows me away. You know, I marvel that there are believers who don't believe in a physical transformation, especially when the natural world even testifies of such a thing. When you consider the caterpillar, the beautiful, beautiful caterpillar. Look at the lowly caterpillar. Look at her transformation and look at her fly. You see? Very important to understand what's happening in this transfiguration here in Mark chapter 9. You have these three witnesses, the same ones who witness in the home of Jairus that death has no sting. How the Lord healed baby girl on the 12th year. After, you know She's 12 years old and our Lord heals baby girl from what is presumed to be death. You see? And she's healed from death. And then you take those same three witnesses, Peter, James, and John, and they're witnessing even more. What they see is the transformation of our Lord. And what does his transformation look like? We see in verse three, his clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no longer on earth can whiten them straight up, super white, shining. And our Lord, he's not alone. The three witnesses Peter James and John what happens they see two more and we see here in verse 4 and Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus now according to the flesh and in the law in their perspective eras Moses and Elijah they died they died in according to the flesh And in the law, in their particular time period, in the word of God, Moses and Elijah died, presumably. You see, very important to understand. The only one shining here, very important to see, the only one shining here in Mark 9 at this transfiguration, especially for my brothers and sisters who... Presently believe in a pre-tribulation rapture and if that's you I love you, but I'll say this your theory is wrong The only one shining here is Jesus the only one shining is Jesus Now understand, you know, sometimes that comes as a shock to people when we say that, you know We don't teach a pre-tribulation rapture and the reason why one specific reason it's not in the Bible the pre-tribulation rapture, it's not in the Bible. Go to the if you're pre-tribulation, you know, you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, go to thewayunderground.com and go to the prophecy era. The, the, the prophecy, you know, you, you click on, you know, the prophecy and go and listen to our studies on the rapture. you learn, you're gonna you're gonna understand a lot more. And then what do you do? You go and tell all your friends. Very important to understand. We're in the last days. Not a time to play games. Not to suggest that any prior time it was okay to play games. Definitely never play games with the Lord. But even more so in these last days, do not play games with the Lord. Do not be lukewarm. We have to have a firm understanding of the Word of God and what the Word of God teaches. And so here in Mark chapter 9, you have the three witnesses. Peter, uh, James, and John. You have the three witnesses. They see Jesus shining. And along with Moses and Elijah. And look what happens here in verse 5. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles. Three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, something I want to say for my Catholic friends. If you're Catholic, Peter, that rock, that rock. He wanted to make a tabernacle or a booth, we'll say, for my Jewish friends. He wanted to make a tabernacle for these created beings, Moses and Elijah. You see? But he wasn't permitted to. Remember, only one was shining. And for that rock, Peter, the desire for Peter, it was there. His desire, it was absolutely there. To honor in this fashion the two created entities but they were forbidden to do such a thing they were forbidden for my Catholic friends I love you Christians believers are forbidden to honor in a similar fashion the created entities you see Mary she doesn't tabernacle as covering saints Don't tabernacle as covering. Angels, don't tabernacle as covering. You see? And Christians, according to the Bible, Christians are forbidden to make tabernacles for created entities. Very important to understand. And so sometimes when I have these conversations with Catholics, like, oh, but I'm Christian, but I'm Christian. Well, hold on a second. Because you have a Bible. I have these conversations with the Catholics. Well, you have a Bible. But when you read the Bible, when you understand the Bible, you start to see certain things that believers, Christians, are forbidden from doing. Which begs a question. If the Bible forbids a Christian from partaking of these things, And having, you know, uh, 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 praying to Mary and, you know, praying to angels and praying to saints. If the Bible forbids such a thing, why do you have people in a religion that does permit such a thing? You see? And it's why we say, come out of her, my people. You see? And I say this as a former Catholic. The Lord rescued me from those doctrines. And if you're Catholic, I love you. Go to thewayunderground.com and then go to the Catholic area. You're going to understand a whole lot more. And then when you're done, go tell all your friends. Peter the Rock, he was forbidden to construct a tabernacle. Very important to understand what is being taught here in Mark chapter 9. And, you know, as a little side note, since we're on the topic of tabernacle or booths for my rabbi friends, these three witnesses in the flesh... These three, these three are empty handed. So what do they offer? You see? What do they offer? Very important for, especially Talmudic rabbis. They're empty handed. What do they offer? You see? And if you're Jewish, especially for my rabbi friends, you know, even especially for my uh, uh, Talmudic rabbi friends, go to thewayunderground.com, go to the Jewish section, and hear the law of Moses. And then go tell all your rabbi friends. You see? And so Peter the Rock, he requests to make tabernacles. And we see here in verse 6, Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Understandably so, because they see Jesus, you know, they, they see Jesus, all of a sudden, boom, he's transfigured. Just like, you know, he, he he's the only one shining. Just like the the, the lowly caterpillar. Consider the caterpillar And all of a sudden you see the transformation of the caterpillar with the beautiful beautiful wings and then no longer a caterpillar now Caterpillar is a beautiful beautiful butterfly and caterpillar now butterfly flies away. You see And we see this transformation Metamorphosis metamorpho in the Greek and we see this with our Lord. He's the only one shining and then along with Jesus, you have Moses and Elijah. And the disciples, the three witnesses, they're, they're greatly afraid. Is It is written here in verse 6. Completely understandable. I mean, consider what's happening here. And then look what happens here in verse 7. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Now notice, in both Testaments, In both Testaments old and new we have the mountain we have the cloud we have the Lord we have the law and we have vessels in both Testaments in both Testaments what comes out of the cloud gets broken one with the golden calf the other on the cross in both Testaments What comes out of the cloud is remade. One is redone. The other is resurrected. In both testaments, what comes out of the cloud and accepted by the remnant is not without blood. And in verse 7, And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. (laughs) I meant... Chapter, chapter 9 here in Mark 9, it, it's, you see like, I mean, we've already seen converging of Old Testament Torah and, and the law of Moses, which is a tutor to bring to Christ. Remember our study in, you know, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Hebrews, Galatians. We, we see these things, but now we see something here in Mark chapter 9 where we see the mountain. We see all these things, and now the pieces can be put together. To those who have eyes, to those who have an ear to hear. Now certain things are starting to converge in terms of the alignment of Torah and the alignment to the fulfillment of Torah, which is Jesus. Also fulfillment of the prophets, don't forget. And so now look what happens here in verse 8. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one no more, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded he commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. Very interesting. Very interesting to, to know that. The gospel as recorded by Matthew and the gospel as recorded by Mark says that the transfiguration, it happened after six days. Six days. Remember, you know, day one, two, three, four, five, six. And then, you know, and then on the seventh day, God rested. And then we have the Sabbath, and you know. But then the gospel as recorded by Dr. Luke, he says eight days. Eight days. And, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist, but what's in the middle of six and eight seven and what is that the sabbath and that's where you and me presently that is our rest in the sabbath in jesus and jesus in us you in jesus and jesus in you that is our rest so why is it that dr luke mentions eight don't forget as in the first covenant They had the Sabbath before the promised land. And in the second covenant, the better covenant, we have the Sabbath before the promised land. And when we say promised land, we speak of paradise. You see? Where it's just like the the caterpillar to butterfly, mortal to immortal, when the saints become Transformed and glorified Very specific formula Very specific blueprints And we're so spoiled today Because we have the full counsel of the word of God Genesis to Revelation And everything in between These are things that John speaks of John speaks of James speaks of And Peter speaks of The three witnesses And also Paul Who speaks about Putting on you know, in, in 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 as we abide in Christ, we put on Christ, but a future event is our entry into paradise. When the immortal, when the mortal puts on immortality. You see? Very important to understand, especially with this transfiguration, the only one glorified here is Jesus. The only one shining. The only one shining is Jesus. You see, and we see in verse 11, and they asked him saying, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Now, don't forget in verse one, Jesus, our Lord, he's teaching about immortality. And these are things that the disciples, they don't quite understand just yet. And we see the disciples, they're in their relative infancy because they're not yet apostles. They haven't yet been baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's something that we see in the book of Acts. And we see the disciples, they're in their infancy and they're learning. They're gaining this understanding. And so the disciples, they asked them, or the three witnesses in verse 11, they asked them saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And this is something, it blows me away so much because the scribes, the religious establishment, the ones who are in the know, so to speak, and to a certain degree, they absolutely know. But notice, they're blind. You see, they have a so-called knowledge. They have the academia, the academic knowledge. They have the degrees. They have all the certificates. And then Jesus, he does affirm what the scribes say. That Elijah must come first? Because verse 11, they asked him straight up, why do the scribes, the religious establishment, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And then in verse 12, then he answered and told them, and indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. You see, the problem with the scribes, they have knowledge, yes, but they fail to account for that it is also written. You see? And failing to account for the it is also written, it presents danger and harm to those who follow them. Don't forget, several chapters ago, the religious establishment, what they were doing, they were teaching as doctrine. Things that weren't even in the scriptures. You see? They were teaching the traditions of men as doctrine. Remember our study in chapter 7? Very important to understand. Pastors today, you think, oh, that, that just you know, that's the that's the religious establishment back then. No, it's the religious establishment today too, teaching as doctrine things that are not even in the Bible. You see, very important to understand how the scribes here. When, you know, the disciples, they ask the question, you know, the scribes, why do they say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus, Jesus, he affirms what they say. Yeah, the scribes, you know, they're right on that. They're right on citing that particular passage of Scripture, that Elijah is coming first. You see, the scribes, they knew the Scripture. But what happened is that they cannot discern the Scripture. Very important to understand. I mean... Looking at a map, looking at a map, we can look at, okay, here's water. We hear, okay, here's a road. Okay, here's railroad tracks. Okay, you look at topography. Okay, here's a mountain. You see? Here's a city center. And everybody can look at a map and say, okay, here's, you know, Greenland. Okay, here's a here's a desert. And, you know, here's water. Here's a lake. And, and that's one thing to be able to discern that. But directional that's something completely different and that's what happens with the scribes where they can cite scripture but they cannot discern the scripture you see the disciples asking you know why why do the scribes say elijah must come first and jesus doesn't just say elijah is coming he says indeed elijah is coming first and restores all things you see Does this mean that the scribes are right? Does this mean that the scribes are right and it's okay to follow them and their teachings? When Jesus affirms that, yes, Elijah is coming first, does that mean that it's okay to follow the scribes? No way. No way. Because remember, our Lord, he points to the, it is also written. Look at what our Lord says here. And how is it written? Concerning the Son of Man, that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. How was it written? He asked the question. Yeah, you know, the scribes are right. The scribes are right concerning, you know, indeed, Elijah is coming first. But then he poses this question. Okay, since we know that Elijah is coming first, how was it written? Concerning the Son of Man, concerning Messiah. How was it written that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Very interesting to know that Jesus is the Word which became flesh and he asked this question, How is it written? He's the word that became flesh. And he asked, How is it written? And what he's doing is he's pointing to the disconnect of the scribes, the learned ones. They have all the certificates, they have all the degrees, and they rightfully cite one thing. But because of the, it is also written, they're wrong. You see? Because of the, it is also written, the scribes are wrong. Because what happens is their theory doesn't match. It doesn't align. It doesn't fit the law nor the prophets. It's just like the map. It's just like the map. You know, we roll out a a big map on a big table and we roll it out. Okay, here's a lake. You know, here's a river. Here's a little creek. Here's the mountain. You know, you see the maps, they have the topography. And it's like, okay, here's a mountain. You know, here's the, here's the ocean. And then you say, well, how do I get from, um, let's see here. How do I get from uh, Panama to Tokyo? You see, oh, that's kind of easy because you just get on a boat. But So, so let's say, how do you get from uh, Tokyo to Vietnam? You see, and it's like, well, you take a boat still. But I'm just like, like, literally like pinpoint, you know, take a sidewalk here. You know, that's completely different. That's completely different. How do I get from Tennessee to Dubai? You see? Where we can look at a map and be like, okay, here's the desert. Here's the mountains. Here's water. here's And you can cite those things. But to specifically say, how do I get from Tennessee to Dubai? It requires direction. It requires an understanding of direction. And Jesus, you know, yeah, the scribes, you know, they, they say that right. Indeed, Elijah is coming first. Indeed. Absolutely. But then you look at the, it is also written. And the scribes are wrong. Because Jesus just straight up asks the question, how is it written? How is it written concerning Messiah that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? You see? the religious establishment in the era of Mark chapter 9. They got it easy. They got it easy. They got it super easy. You know why? They have smaller texts to match. They have Moses. They have the prophets. And that's it. But pastors today, it's much more difficult for pastors today. Why? Because there's more to match. Because in addition to the law and the prophets, in addition to Moses and the prophets, now there needs to be alignment to the gospel texts. Now there needs to be alignment to the texts of the epistles. You see? And everything has to line up perfectly. Everything has to match. All of it. Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. It must align perfectly. And so with the scribes mention here in Mark 9, their theory, which cites a true scripture, their theory becomes error because they fail to account for the it is also written. Because Jesus says, yeah, indeed. Indeed, what they say is true, that Elijah is coming first, but then he says, how is it also written concerning Messiah that he must suffer? You see, look what our Lord says in verse 13. But I say to you that Elijah has also come. And they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. Now, notice in verse 12, Elijah is coming. But then in verse 13, Elijah has also come. Notice the tenses here. We see future tense and we see past tense. So, is Jesus referring to Elijah at the transfiguration? Turn really quick to Matthew 11. Really quick. Matthew 11. Matthew 11. And in Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 12. Verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has an ear, let him hear. You see, something happens when you account for all the it is also written. When you account for the it is also written, there are impossibilities according to the flesh, which become possible according to the Spirit. And for my Jewish friends, whom I love, Moses, in whom you trust, for my Jewish friends, Moses in whom you trust, he died, he died, and he never stepped foot into the promised land according to the flesh. And then at the transfiguration, we straight up, I mean, just right now in Mark chapter nine, we straight up saw Moses on the mountain. With Peter, James, and John. And for my Jewish friends, if you truly trust Moses, my beautiful, beautiful Jewish friends whom I love, you have to hear Moses. Because Moses wrote about Jesus. And the writings of Moses, the teachings of Moses, bring us to Jesus. You see? And if you truly follow Moses... You have to leave the manner of flesh. That's what has to happen. That's for entry into the promised land. And when we say promised land, we speak of paradise. Tree of life. You know, tree of life in Genesis. Tree of life. You don't see the tree of life in the Bible. Only in uh, Genesis and Revelation. Those are the only times you see the tree of life. Everything in between, you do not see the tree of life. Very important to understand. The tree of life is not in is, is not in you know the majority of the Bible. But the tree of life is in Genesis and Revelation. Tree of life forbidden in Genesis. Tree of life, no, eat freely. And it's the Lord who feeds. It's the Lord who feeds the saints. Tree of life here, eat. Very important to understand for my Jewish friends. There's a very specific blueprint, very specific directions that we have to enter the promised land. Now, I'm not Jewish. I'm Gentile. And you might say, like, wait a second. Why am I going to listen to this Gentile? Why am I going to listen to this Gentile? Don't forget, zaphnath paneah had a Gentile wife who knew who zaphnath paneah really was before his brothers. You see? Very important to understand. And if you're Jewish, you're listening, and you want this. You want to enter the promised land in the third heaven. You hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. How to commit your life to Messiah. And you do that. You commit your life to Messiah. If you're a rabbi, you commit your life to the Messiah. Messiah. If you're Talmudic rabbi, you commit your life to the Messiah. And you come back, you listen, and we journey together. And tell all your friends. Your rabbi, tell all your rabbi friends. Your Talmudic, tell all your Talmudic rabbi friends. Your orthodox, tell all your orthodox friends. Very important to understand we're in the last days. And so, you know, and, you know, as you know, I want to say as a little side note, but it's kind of a big side note. If you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, you're a Christian and you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And, you know, those are believers who often pose a question. Why would God allow us to suffer? Why would God allow us to suffer? In Mark chapter nine, let's go back to Mark chapter nine, and remember the future tense of Elijah, the future tense of Elijah, and I'll only echo the words of my king. How is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? How? Why would God allow us to suffer? People always ask, "Well, why would God allow us to suffer?" Well, how was it written that he must suffer many things? You see, every single theory, it must align to the word of God in order to become doctrine, sound doctrine. In order to become sound doctrine, every single theory must line up and align and match the scriptures. The religious establishment in the era of Mark 9, they had it easy. They had it super easy. You know why? Because there was less to match. Moses and the prophets. That's it. But today, in these last days, we have to account for the gospel writings. We have to account for the epistles. And even more has to match. Everything. Every jot. Every tittle. It has to match. In order to be sound doctrine. Because the religious establishment in the era of Mark 9. Remember several chapters ago? And, you know, what happened is they were teaching as doctrine. As doctrine. Doctrine, something that wasn't even in the Bible, something that wasn't even in Torah nor the prophets. And they were teaching it as doctrine. And it was doctrine, yes, but it wasn't sound doctrine, you see. And the scribes, they were absolutely right. Yes, Elijah is coming first. You see, it's just like the map. They can see, okay, here's a mountain. Okay, here's a lake. Yeah, absolutely, that's a lake. Yeah, absolutely, that's the ocean. Yeah, absolutely. That's China. Yeah, absolutely. That's Russia. Absolutely. But tell me, scribe, how do you get from uh, 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 how do you get from uh, 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 Tennessee to Qatar? You see? How do you get from uh, 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 Arkansas to Venezuela? You see? Tell me, oh, scribe, how does that happen? How is it written concerning Messiah that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Everything has to line up, you see. And the scribes, they could absolutely pinpoint, you know, here's an ocean. Here's a mountain, you know. Here's China. Here's Doha. Here's Argentina. They could absolutely cite those things. But in terms of direction, no, they were blind. They were blind. And Jesus, he always accounts for the it is also written. The disciples, they're learning to account for the it is also written. But when they're apostles, they absolutely account for the it is also written. And, you know, the disciples here are 12. But the disciples, they become 11. But then the apostles, they are 12. 11 but then remember our study in the book of acts it becomes 12 again, but then we see also paul as apostle It's always student before messenger student before messenger very important to understand Every single theory must line up the future tense of elijah for my pre-tribulation rapture friends the future tense of elijah And if you're pre-tribulation rapture, go and listen to our study. Go to thewayunderground.com and go and listen to those studies. Go to the prophecy area and go and listen to those studies on the rapture. Every single theory must align with Scripture. And so here in Mark chapter 9, let's go back to Mark chapter 9. Now the four return from the mountain. Jesus and the three witnesses. They return from the mountain. And look what happens here in verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. So there's a little verbal altercation here. The scribes, they're disputing with the disciples and there's a multitude. And then here in verse 15, immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And so notice what's happening. The multitude, they're with the disciples. Jesus and the three witnesses, Peter, James, and John, they're returning from the mountain. The transfiguration just happened. And the transfiguration just happened. But don't forget what happened in Mark chapter uh, uh, chapter 5 with the woman who was bleeding. And then the girl, you know, they converge at 12 years, 12 tribes. And what the Lord is teaching about immortality. Very important to understand what the Lord is teaching about Something glorious. At the transfiguration, he's the only one shining. And there's Moses and Elijah. The law and the prophet. You see? Law and prophet. And then you see Jesus, the only one shining. And all these theories, all these theories that people have, Of both Jew and Gentile. All these theories that Christians have. All these doctrines that Christians have. All these doctrines of the Jewish tradition. Varying Jewish traditions. You know, reform, orthodox, you know, different Jewish tradition. Everything has to line up. Everything has to line up. And if it doesn't. It can be doctrine, but it is not sound doctrine. Look at the religious establishment. They had doctrine, yeah, but it wasn't even in Torah. It wasn't even in the prophets. So they had doctrine, but it wasn't sound doctrine. And the people, they didn't discern. They didn't discern. Why? Look at the guides. They had blind guides. And you look at today look at pastors today a pastor can cite scripture and yeah that's absolutely right but we have to account for the it is also written and everything has to fit you see and what happens you have pastors today they do not account for the it is also written and because they do not account for the it is also written it's just like tennessee and and dubai they don't know how to get from tennessee to dubai they can they can look at a map and say oh look there's the mountain there's the ocean there's a lake there's a little creek right here they can look at a map and say look there's there's russia look there's look look there's uh 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 uh, 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 uh Tokyo, you know, they can look at a map and say, okay, yeah, absolutely, here's China, here's water, here's the ocean, here's the Atlantic, here's the Indian Ocean, yeah, there's that. But for direction, they don't know how to traverse the lands, they don't know how to navigate the waters, they don't know how to navigate the, the land and the terrain. They don't know anything about direction. And every single doctrine, in order to be sound doctrine, everything has to align with the word of God. Every single theory, it has to be measured with the word of God. And so, you have the what's happening here, that Jesus and the three witnesses, they return from the mountain. And the multitude, they see Jesus and they run to him. And then Jesus asked a question to the scribes. And, you know, remember, they're in a little kerfuffle with the disciples. And so Jesus asked a question to the scribes here in verse 16. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? He asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered. Very interesting to see here that the scribes, they don't answer Jesus. They don't answer. Jesus asked them a question. What are you discussing with them? And then another person answers Jesus. But it's a person in the crowd, it's not a scribe. Then one in the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought my I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. So now what we see here, there's this particular person who has a son. And you know, who this his son here is not a little tiny baby, not a little child, probably like an older kid, maybe like a teenager. Could be a teenager, might be like be 10 years old, I don't know, 11. Other Gospels record him as a child, but not like a grown man. This isn't like, you know, a 30-year-old, you know, this is not a grown man. So with this child, the child has a mute spirit, which is an unclean spirit, a demon, as mentioned in other Gospels, a demon. Now, it's very interesting what the Bible shows us in the Numos, gives us Clear guidance on things of the pneumos. And these are are things that modern medicine, they will not do that. Modern medicine will not give us guidance on things of the pneumos. Where modern medicine, what they'll do is they'll prescribe medication. They'll prescribe this, they'll prescribe that, and they'll treat this, they'll treat that. But they will not heal. They will not heal. Jesus asked the scribes, don't forget, Jesus asked the scribes, and the voice in the crowd is the one with the son, not a scribe, and that's the one who responds to Jesus, and this particular individual with a great need, his son, his beautiful son, he explains the situation about the mute spirit. And we see in verse eighteen the the dad he's giving this report teacher I brought I brought you my son who has a mute spirit in verse eighteen and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. Rigid. Now in the Greek, this is how it translates in the Greek. Whenever it possesses him, this is like what the dad says. It like translated in the Greek. Whenever it possesses him this unclean spirit this demon This mute spirit a demon Whenever it possesses this is how verse 18 translates in the Greek whenever it possesses him it convulses him with Convulses him with spasms. He foams at the mouth in epilepsy He gnashes his teeth and he shrivels and withers Very important when we look at this activity we see the rise of medical conditions today, medical conditions today. They're on the rise and things that resemble what is happening here in verse 18, especially with children convulsing and epilepsy and spasms. And parents take their kids, to the doctor, the doctor here, doctor, there, doctor here, doctor there. But what can't be excluded is the possibility and maybe even probability of things unclean, of things demonic. Remember several chapters ago with the demons? They don't care about age. They don't care about age. Little child or old person, demons will enter whatever vessel they please. Of those without a covering that aligns to the word of God, demons will enter whatever vessel they please. You see? Very important to understand, you know, covering. Coverings matter. Coverings matter. Parental covering matters. Pastoral coverings matters big time. You see? Parental and pastoral, coverings matter big time. Because when the covering's not right, demons, hey, it's a free-for-all. It's a free-for-all. And demons don't care about age. Demons will go into the old guy. Demons will go to the middle-aged lady. Demons will enter the teenagers. Demons will enter the children, the babies, the young ones. You see? But when the covering is right. Very important to understand what our Lord teaches us in the pneumos. What the Word of God teaches us in the pneumos. Very dangerous. You know, remember our studies in the epistles and Paul's writings and also Peter and James and John? When you're open to the Pneumos, you're open to the Pneumos. And that can be good, it can be bad. Because when you're open to the Pneumos, you better have the covering of Jesus Christ. The biblical Jesus Christ, whose word is above his name. And when you have the covering of the biblical Jesus Christ, praise be to the Lord. You're open to the Pneumos, but you have a covering. Safety. You see? And so you have this parent, this dad in Mark chapter nine, and he continues to describe what is happening with his son, his beautiful, beautiful, beautiful boy. He tells Jesus, so I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. They could not. And don't forget in chapter six, Jesus, he gave the disciples power over unclean spirits. So what happened? What happened? remember the the scribes they were disputing and i can almost see it now you know picture just what they might have said to the disciples the scribes you see he you follow jesus he's not the messiah he's not the messiah because if he really had power and you follow him why isn't this spirit leaving I can picture it now what these scribes must have been in this dispute. Remember, the four come down the mountain, Jesus and the three witnesses, and they see the scribes there disputing with the disciples. I could just see it like what were they what they were saying, what they were saying. You see, it's very interesting how, you know, the scribes, when Jesus isn't there, they're like the tough guys. You know, oh, you know, like why isn't the spirit leaving? Why do you want to follow Jesus when he has no power? I can just picture it now. But then when Jesus arrives, when Jesus comes back, and from the mountain, when Jesus comes back, the scribes, they don't respond to him. You see? They don't respond to him. Very interesting. They don't respond. They can't respond. Remember they tried to trap him. Remember several chapters ago in synagogue? Before he started speaking in parables, he would speak openly and they tried to trap him. Remember, at this particular juncture in Mark 9, they're conspiring with the political establishment, the Herodians, and they're conspiring to destroy Jesus. But they can't trap him. They can't trap him doctrinally. Well, they can't trap him with sound doctrine they tried to uh, they tried to trap him with doctrine but jesus called him on it and says no you teach the tradition of of men what you what the what the elders do what you've been passing down by generation to generation to generation to generation to generation it's not even in the bible it's not moses never wrote about that the prophets never wrote about that it's not even in torah and they were teaching it as tradition and the lord the messiah the son of the most high He called him on it. He called him on it, straight up. That's not even in the Bible. And so Jesus, he takes these three witnesses, Peter, James, and John, and they leave, they go up the mountain, where we see the cloud. Just remember, both Testaments, Old Testament, New Testament. Both Testaments. They have the mountain, they have the cloud, they have the law. You know, one is tablets, one is... Fulfillment and they have vessels and we see Moses and Elijah and Moses According to the flesh for my Jewish friends Moses did not Cross into the promised land according to the flesh Remember Deuteronomy go and listen to our study in Deuteronomy. It's there for you Free of charge And yet we see Moses And the only way that happens is when a person leaves the flesh. You see? Leaves the flesh. Leaves the things of the carnal. And leaves the manner of the carnal. That's the only way it's possible. And so if you're Jewish and you're listening and you look at the law, you look at uh, the prophets, And praise be to the Lord. You know, that's a beautiful thing, but understand. And don't, don't, don't forget, the law is holy. But there's a greater glory. Remember, Jesus in Mark 9, the only one shining. There's a greater glory. The only one shining. Very important to understand. And you see Moses. You don't see Moses in the promised land in a carnal sense. But when you make the transition from flesh to spirit, look what we see. Jesus took the three witnesses, Peter, James, and John. But captured in the canon of scripture, we see it too. You and me, we see it too. And so the four, they go up the mountain, Messiah, they go up the mountain, he takes the three. And then you look at the scribes. What a perfect opportunity, you know, the tough guys. Oh, look, we know doctrine. We know the Bible like the back of our hands. We know the Bible. We know the Bible. We know Moses. We know the prophets. And how is it that you can't cast out this demon? You know, you follow Messiah. He's not the Messiah. Follow us. You see? The tough guys, you know, the scribes. Oh, we know our stuff. Where did you go to school? Where did you go to education? Where did you go to seminary? Who was your teacher? Who trained you? Who taught you? Let me see your certificates. Let me see your degrees. You see? And when Jesus comes back, all of a sudden, the tough guys, they're not tough guys anymore. Because they can't even speak to Jesus. Jesus asks a question and they're silent. Very important to see how these so-called guides, they take opportunity when Jesus is gone. And when Jesus comes back, they can't say anything. And so, this dad here, he has a son with a demon. And he says that, I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And you look at the religious establishment, the scribes, what might they have said? You have a son with a demon, you know, what could they have said? Oh, your, your son has an unclean spirit because of your sin. It's because of your sin. And you see the scribes, they take this opportunity to dispute when Jesus isn't there. Remember, he's been on the mountain with the three witnesses. And something else that's interesting to note is that here in the era of Mark 9, there's already, a you know, activity in the demonic realm. We've seen, you know, quite a bit of evil, satanic, and demonic activity. And we're in Mark 9, and we've seen it already in the previous chapters. And that's what happens when the formula is wrong in leadership. Remember, coverings matter. When the formula is wrong in leadership, the religious establishment... What it does, it removes the effectuation of God's promises. You see? It's very true that the religious leaders are blind and without understanding. But remember, it comes at great cost. Because their brand of covering, it's not a covering at all. Because their covering does not align to Moses and the prophets. And as a result, look at the Numos. Look at the Pneumos. It's a free-for-all. It's a free-for-all. The demons have easy pickings. You see? And it's the people who suffer, even the children. As we see here with this particular dad who responds to Jesus, and Jesus was talking to the scribes, and you have this dad who responds, and then Jesus responds back. <clears throat> In verse 19, he answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Kind of heavy. Kind of heavy. And when you don't understand formula, it sounds mean almost. But when you do understand formula and you understand formula and the expectation that the Lord has for you and me to grow and mature in Him, His statement here, you know, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? If you're like, Like, whoa, that's mean. How could he say that? But when you understand formula and when you understand the expectation for growth, what he says is completely understandable. How long shall I bear with you? Oh, look, Jesus is so mean. Your rejoicing isn't good. Oh, look, Paul, he's so mean. Remnant, separate from the leaven. Oh, look, Paul is so mean adulterers and adulteresses oh look james he's so mean but when you understand formula and the lord's expectation for growth you see differently you understand and it's not mean at all what it is it's training in righteousness and look what jesus says bring him to me straight up bring him to me Oh, faithless generation, he says in verse 19, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. In verse 20, then they brought him to him. And when he saw him. So the guy's son, you kind of got to look at the capitalization here. Just as a little side note, you probably know this already, but we read and study out of the New King James Version. You know, non-Alexandrian text. That's the way to go. Non-Alexandrian text. Everything from, you know, the Alexandrian text, very, very dangerous, you know, very, very um non-Alexandrian. Stay away from non-Alexandrian and post-Alexandrian. You know, we want to be as close as possible to the original manuscripts. And don't forget, remember our study in the book of Numbers, Septuagint math. Don't forget. Very important to understand. And so our Lord says, bring him to me in verse 20. So they brought him to him and when he saw him. So the guy's son, that the dad's son, he sees Jesus. And don't forget, he has a demon. Look what happens in verse 20 when he saw him. Immediately, the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. In verse 21, so he asked his father. Jesus, he asked a question to the dad. And look what he says here. How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. So, you know, the son here is not a small child, you know, probably like an older kid, you know, maybe even teenager. And this demon has been possessing the boy since childhood. See Since he was little, you know, was he two years old? Was he just a baby who didn't know how to walk yet? Was he like crawling on the ground when the demon? I don't know. But since he was a small child. And so in verse 22, the dad continues to give this report, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Notice here, when you look at the pneumos, notice the demonic intent. You see? I mean, it's not like fainting spells where the kid falls on the floor or onto a mat. No. The convulsing comes, and boom, where's the fire to burn him? You see? Where's the fire to burn him and kill him? Where's the water so that the demon, where's the fire, where's the water so that to drown him? You see, you see the demonic intent. It's to bring harm. It's to kill. Very important. Very important to understand when our Lord teaches us things of the numos and the numos has both good and bad, both wicked and righteous. You see? And coverings matter. Coverings matter big time, especially in the matter of the numos. Coverings matter. It better be right. It better be right. Parental coverings, it better be right. Pastoral coverings, it better be right. Because when the pneumos is fully exposed, if the covering's wrong, nobody stands a chance. Nobody stands a chance. You see? Take Michael, the archangel. Remember our study in the book of Jude? Michael, the archangel, didn't dare, didn't dare bring an accusation against Satan. He didn't and That's Michael, the archangel. I mean, that's heavy. He's like, you know, you look at the, the, the structure of the angelic realm. This is, he's a powerful angel, archangel. And he didn't dare bring an accusation against Satan you see don't forget Lucifer he wanted to be almighty and when he seduced he didn't take one angel or two angels with him no when he seduced he took one third of the angels Lucifer very effective very effective and Michael the archangel didn't dare bring an accusation against Lucifer very important to understand the nimos. And in these last days, the Numos is on overdrive. Big time. Because Satan and the demons, they know their time is short. And they're on overdrive. And, you know, people, society, culture, everywhere in the world. It's not, you know, regionally here and regionally there. No, it's all over the world. And some regions are worse than others. But in preparation for the revealing of the Antichrist, when Satan finds his host... Things of the demonic realm, they're going to be unleashed on mankind. And coverings matter big time. And the formula better be right. The formula better be right in mom, the formula better be right in dad, and the formula better be right in the overseers. Because coverings matter big time. And when coverings are wrong, nobody stands a chance. You see? And so... The dad here continues to tell Jesus, you know, you look at the intent of the demon in this boy. It's not just, you know, oh, look, you know, my son has a demon. I mean, that's bad enough in itself. But, you know, my son has a demon, but the demon tries to kill my son. You see? Where's the fire? My son goes in the fire. Where's the water? My son goes in the water to drown because the demon wants to kill him. You see? You look at this intent, evil, wicked, demonic intent. To bring harm, yes, but to kill. And so in verse 22, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If you can believe, he says in verse 23, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And this begs a very, very serious question. Is it really that easy? Is it really that easy? And I'll give you the very serious answer. Yes. It really is that easy. Something Something that I don't talk about very much in our studies. Every now and then, once in a blue moon, it might be mentioned. But what I don't talk about very much in our studies is it's the signs, the wonders, miracles, visions, healings, activity in the angelic realm. Things that I could tell you, and it would straight up blow you away, big time. It would blow you away big time. Not little time, big time. Not even big time, like super duper big time. Not even that, like blow you away, like, like super duper ultra big time. It would straight up blow you away. And these are things that are very strictly reserved for a church body. A fellowship of believers. Face-to-face, love feast, not run-of-the-mill. A fellowship of believers where the holy recipe and the holy formula is right. Always accounting for babies. Very important. Very rare in these last days. But they're out there. I could tell you things about divine protection. Divine guidance, gifts of the spirit being properly utilized in a church body. Not fake like you you turn on TBN, tricking believers nightly. Not like that. The real deal. Visions, healings, illnesses healed, bones and ligaments being set. And not, this isn't chiropractor. This isn't like, you know, the, 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 the elder has a side job where he's a chiropractor. And, you know, he's doing like a, you know, uh, spinal manipulation. No, no, no. This is, you know, elders lay hands. And they're not doing, they're not moving. They're not doing any type of, you know, chiropractic adjustment. The elders lay hands and you could hear. You hear like the bones cracking. Cancer's gone. And not cancer in remission cancer, just straight up completely gone where the medical professionals, the surgeons, support staff, everybody is dumbfounded. They don't have answers. These are things that I could tell you. And every now and then once in a blue moon, we might say a little bit here. We might say a little bit there, but if you and me were face to face, in love feast in a physical fellowship these are things that we would speak of and these are things that the spirit of our lord would gift to individuals in the church the body caring for the body and in these last days it's the remnant caring for the remnant you see very holy They're reserved for the church body. The remnant, caring for the remnant. There's a very specific reason why we urge you to find the right fellowship. And it's going to be very difficult. It's going to come with great, great, great difficulty. Very difficult. But these are fellowships, they're going to be safe houses. During extremely, extremely, extremely perilous and trying times. When the things of the pneumos are going to be unleashed on mankind. The demonic realm is, you know, fully active, fully engaged. And when the covering is wrong, no one stands a chance. Find these fellowships. Submit to those pastors. Pastors. They will teach you. They will equip you. They will guide you. Falling away in apostasy in the last days is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. It's already underway. But in the underbelly of society, in the underground, there is the remnant caring for the remnant. And I could say much more, and I do desire to say much more. But these are things that are shared in the deep intimacy of the body of believers, the love feast, face-to-face. Very important. When you have these safe houses, overseers that faithfully shepherd the flock, The remnant, caring for the remnant, gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is like straight up Book of Acts stuff. Fellowships, where it's like straight up Book of Acts. And you have pastors today say, oh, that Book of Acts, that's for 2,000 years ago. The the, the power and the works of the Spirit in the Book of Acts, that was for 2,000 years ago. You say, why, pastor? And the pastor says, well, because we don't see it today. Because we don't see it today, that means it was for that dispensation. Wrong, pastor. Step down, repent of your wickedness, pastor. You will not see an expiration date on how the Holy Spirit works. Remember, Elohim, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When somebody puts an expiration date on the power and the moving and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what are they doing? How can they call God sovereign? How can they call God sovereign when they're expiring his Holy Spirit and saying, oh, that was for that dispensation? When the Bible says God never changes, Elohim never changes, God the Father never changes, God the Son never changes, God the Spirit never changes. And what do these people say? Oh, God is sovereign. Oh, by the way, he changed. How do they get away with it? How? It's the saints that put up with it. Look what the saints are putting up with in these last days. And so you have believers. They believe in Jesus. Oh, my pastor tells me that the the Spirit, the moving and the power and the gifts of the Spirit in the book of Acts, that is not for today. And what happens when all hell breaks loose? You think they're going to stand? You see, that's the real setup job. Because the servants of Satan, they say, oh, yeah, God is sovereign. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. That's what pastors are saying. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. Oh, you know, the Bible says God never changes. God, the father never changes. God, the, uh, the son never changes. And God, the spirit never changes. But I say the spirit has changed. Wicked, wicked men. Oh, God is sovereign. Take the mark of the beast. If you're listening and you're like, what in the world? I've never heard this before. Listen, go to thewayunderground.com and go to the Reformed section. You'll learn about the poison of Calvinism and the poison of Reformed theology. And you'll hear their pastors say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. But you look at the safe houses of the last days. Small churches, not big churches. 100% of the churches that I know of that are biblically sound and safe, I know there's more, but the ones that I know of, 100% have less than 50 people. And the bulk of them have less than 25 people. And these are churches that have qualified overseers, biblically qualified overseers that faithfully shepherd the flock. And in these fellowships, you see book of acts in 2023 a.d it's not the charismatics where it's you know it's crazy town very important to understand find a church like that if you can't find a church like that and i don't want to rain on anybody's parade but you're probably not going to find a church like that but if that's you and you can't find one home fellowship home fellowship These are going to be safe houses in the last days. During severe and deadly storms. A full unleashing of the demonic realm. Satan, not as serpent. Remember in Genesis, a serpent. Serpent and was still effective. But you look at Genesis and you see Satan, that serpent of old. Little serpent. You look at Revelation, Satan, no longer serpent. He's dragon. What does that tell us? He's been growing, you see? And then at the same time, don't forget the prophecies. The Holy Spirit being lifted from the face of the earth. What do you think that world is going to look like? What do you think that culture is going to look like? When you have the full unleashing of the demonic realm and the Holy Spirit being lifted There's a very specific reason why we say find a fellowship where the formula is right. If you have it, don't leave. If you don't have it, leave. There's a very specific reason why we say store your oil. And if you're listening for the first time, I don't want to terrify anybody, but go to thewayunderground.com, go to the prophecy area, area, and listen to those studies about last day's prophecies. I don't want to terrify anybody, but some of it is scary. Some of it is very sobering, very sobering. But yet the Lord has given us very specific blueprints. You ask a pastor, hey, pastor, how do I get from, you know, Tennessee to Doha? And the pastor is going to say, oh, I see a mountain over here. I see a lake over here. I see mountain over here. Let's try this. Let's walk over here. Let's try this. And they're blind. Don't follow them. Don't follow them. We're living in the last days, not a time to play games with the Lord. Not to suggest that there was ever a time to play games with the Lord, but definitely in these last days, don't play games with the Lord. And so Jesus says in verse 23, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And in verse 24, look what happens. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief, he says. And it seems kind of odd in verse 24 because the dad says he believes, but then he adds, help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Don't forget the Lord. Jesus has sent His Holy Spirit to help us. And it's very true that the Holy Spirit will lift. But the Bible tells us when that will happen. And until then, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is still in effect. And this might resonate with you in verse 24 where the dad, at wit's end, since childhood, his baby boy got to watch him. Everything he does, it might hurt himself. The demon goes, he wants to go in the fire. The demon comes in, he wants to go in the water because he wants to, the demon wants to burn him. The demon wants to drown him. No matter what, the demon wants to kill my boy. My beautiful, beautiful baby boy. And the demon wants to kill him can't let him around knives, he might cut himself, he might kill himself, might stab himself, you see, gotta be careful with the chemicals, he might drink Drano, he might go to the garage and, you know, drink some oils for the car or whatever, you know, you gotta watch him, gotta watch my son, my beautiful, beautiful son, gotta watch him because the demon wants to kill him. And then the doctors are going to say, here, I'll I'll prescribe you this. Here, take this. Tell your son, put your son on this. Put your son on this. This, this, and you have beautiful, beautiful boy taking 30 drugs, 30 prescriptions. You got to chop it up during the day or else you're going to blow out his liver. You got to chop it up during the day, you know? 10 for breakfast, 10 for lunch, 10 for dinner. Beautiful, beautiful baby boy. Beautiful, beautiful, my, my child, my son. And he's a zombie, straight up zombie. Oh, look, the doctors are helping him. The doctors are helping him. Look at my beautiful little zombie. And you might be a parent, and this is resonating with you, where the dad is straight up, I believe. He's saying to Jesus with tears, I believe. But help my unbelief. you have problems with belief you're he's, I believe in Jesus I believe in Jesus but do you have problems with belief but I believe in Jesus how could I have problems with belief when I believe in Jesus what about believing that all things are possible do you believe like that you say no I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe like that. You know what you do? You pray. You pray. There's a very specific reason why we stress over and over and over, nonstop, formula, 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 formula. Remember what Brother James says? When he says adulterers and adulteresses to Christians, you pray and don't receive because you ask amiss. He says the formula that you have it's wrong. It's not a time to be happy, it's not a time to be joyful. And that sounds strange. Like wait a second, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be joyful. And brother James says, "No, it's not a time to rejoice. Why? Because of you. Because of you. Because of the flesh." Because of the carnal ways, the carnal nature. It's because of you. And what does Brother James say? Let's get you cleaned up. And in the same vein, that's what I say unto you. Let's get you cleaned up. But I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I go to church. Remember, formula matters, coverings matter. And sometimes I have these conversations with Christians. And they get very mad. How dare, I've been going to this church for 20 years. I've been going to this church for 30 years. And my mom and dad went to this church. And my great-grandpappy went to this church. And we've been going here since my family lives in this church. How dare you say I should leave this church? Our loyalty is not to a church. Our loyalty is to Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. You see, what if the church has left Jesus? What if the pastor has left Jesus? But the Bible says I have to submit to the pastor. I have to submit to the pastor. So I got to submit to this guy. Listen, what if the guy has left Jesus? You're going to submit to that fool? You're going to submit to that freak show? Coverings matter. You see? Alexander as covering? No, that's terrible. Him and the S as covering? No, that's terrible. Titus as covering? Beautiful. Timothy as covering? Whew. Beautiful. You see? Coverings matter. So you might be listening. It's like, well, I believe, I believe, but I don't believe like this, that like, You know, all things are possible. Listen, if that's you, pray, pray and understand formula, understand covering. And when you understand formula, you understand covering. Most likely you're going to agree and say, you know what? I can't submit to that fool. This is my pastor for 20 years. I've been submitting him for 20 years and you're going to realize I can't submit to that freak show. You see? Look what happens here in Mark 9. We see here in verse 25. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed uh, convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he's dead. He is dead. Now, other gospel writers, in their accounts, they say the kid was beat up pretty bad. They straight up bruised. The, the bruise is show for it. The demon beat him up pretty bad. Convulsing on the ground, you know, crashing on rocks, crashing on the ground. And, the you know, they thought him to be dead Here is recorded in Mark 9. And then the demons understand that in the demonic realm, the demons, they don't give up easily. They don't give up easily. The demons they're fighters Demons are fighters and they're very effective in a fight very powerful, too But they're not Almighty There's only one Almighty See the demons They don't obey the teachings of Jesus But they obey his commands And so this demon leaves the boy the demon leaves the boy but beat him up pretty bad And he beat him up The demon beat him up so bad That they thought the boy was dead Look what happens here in verse 27 But Jesus took him by the hand And lifted him up And he arose Fully and completely healed By Jesus You see verse 28 When when he had come into the house His disciples asked him privately Why could we not cast it out Straight up They want to know why could we not cast it out? Remember in previous chapters, you know, Jesus, he gave the disciples power over unclean spirits. But now we see something about the power and strength of things demonic, things of the pneumos. How some demons are stronger than others, and some demons are much stronger than others, and some demons are. Much, much stronger than others. Remember, some are so powerful that they're over nations and regions. Look at Gog, who's over Magog. You see? And these are things that we're seeing played out in these last days for such a time as this the unleashing of the pneumos, the unleashing of the demonic realm, the unleashing of Satan in these last days, which is going to build up for the revealing of the Antichrist. It's happening. It's happening. And in verse 29, so he said to them, remember the disciples were straight up, why, could, why couldn't we cast this, cast this demon out? In verse 29, so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. You see? Remember what Brother James taught us? Prayer has a formula. You see? And so, like, you know, when we fast, it's not to cut calories, it's not to lose weight, but it is to cut carnality. Cut carnality. Cut the flesh and feed on the Word of God. That's what fasting is. And Jesus says, this kind, this demon can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And these are things that are for all of us. Every single believer. It's for all of us. This isn't for, you know, hey, this is what pastors do. No, this is what Christians do. If you're in the pew, if you're in the pulpit, no, this is what Christians do. Sometimes people, oh, the pastor has to do this. The pastor has to do this. This is what the pastor, no, no. This is what Christians do. This is the life of a believer. This is what believers believe in. We believe the words of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. And you and me, as believers, we yield to the word of God. Otherwise, we can't call ourselves Christians. You see? But since we're Christians, because we're Christians, we yield to the word of God. And in yielding to the word of God... All of a sudden, don't forget, remember, the Spirit is, the Pericletus, the Helper, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the Lord teaches us and shows us and empowers us and seals us. And remember, every high priest brings gifts. Remember our study in Hebrews? Every high priest brings gifts. And then you have these pastors who say, Oh, look, no gifts. Those, those gifts, those power and moving, that was for another dispensation. It's not for today. If they say it's not for today, what high priest do they claim? When the high priest has gifts, what high priest do they claim? Look at what they're doing. Oh, that was for another dispensation. That's for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Look at what they're doing. When God never changes, Elohim, the triune nature of God. In the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Look at what they're doing. Oh, this, the, the high priest that we worship doesn't bring gifts. When the Bible says every high priest has gifts. What high priest do they worship? Oh, the Bible says God never changes, but God the Spirit, he's changed. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. And the whole time they call God sovereign. What are they doing? What are they doing? How is it that people follow them? How is it that Christians put up with these so-called pastors, these so-called teachers, these so-called elders, these so-called overseers? How is it that Christians put up with them? For such a time as this, we're seeing apostasy as prophesied for the last days precursory signs for the revealing of Antichrist at the same time what are we also seeing the rise of Magog under the power of Gog for such a time as this look at what is happening And so Jesus says this demon, this kind of demon comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. This isn't just for the pastors. It's for all of us, every single believer. And it's the overseers. They should be very keen and well acclimated to these things. Remember what Brother James says? Remember what Brother James says? Is anyone sick? Go to the elders is anyone sick go to the elders and today people go to the elders but you know what happens nothing no healing people go to the elders and these are the overseers who say that the power and the moving and the gifts of the spirit were for 2000 years ago they're not for today let me tell you something with them there won't be healing you know why because they've quenched the spirit they've extinguished the spirit and that's saying if they've ever even had the holy spirit It's just like the scribes. It's just like the scribes here in Mark chapter 9. It's just like the scribes who rightly cite Elijah. But remember with the scribes, the, the scribes, they rightly cite Elijah, but they fail to account for the many, it is also written. And as a result, the religious establishment is blind. And today, the religious establishment is blind. They got the degrees. They got the certificates. But they only serve to condemn. You see? You know why? Oh, look, I went to seminary. Look, I, got, I went to Bible college. I got the certificate. I got the degree. I got my master's. You know what those documents do? What those certificates, what they do, the degrees, you know what they do? They serve to condemn. Because the person the pastor, the ministry leader, the elder, the overseer, they're officially without excuse. You see? What does Brother James tell us? What does he tell us? Let not many be teachers. Let not many be teachers. That's what Brother James says. Who is heeding Brother James? Look what happens here in verse 30. You know, the disciples, they asked Jesus, you know, how come we couldn't cast the demon out? Jesus says this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. You see? In verse 30, then they departed from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise on the third day. Previously, when Jesus said this, remember chapter 8? Previously, Jesus, he was rebuked by Peter. And here, Jesus, he reveals it again. That he will be killed and he will rise. But Peter doesn't rebuke him. And we see in verse 32, but they did not understand this saying. And they were afraid to ask him. Then he came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it what, what, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. Verse 34, but they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all and this is something that we as we study the scriptures we're going to see it down the road with the disciples but when the disciples become apostles we're going to see the apostles as servants of all last of all empowered by the spirit and you know what else we're going to see they're not concerned about being first they're not disputing about who's first We see that in their infancy here, before the baptism of the Holy Spirit, before the seal of the Holy Spirit. We see them in their infancy here, and they're disputing about carnal things. But when they're apostles, they're not arguing about it. They're not concerned about being first. You know what they're concerned about? They're concerned about the sheep. They're concerned about the flock of God. These are things that we read in John, in James, in Peter's writings, in Paul's writings. Their deep, profound concern and love for the saints, the flock of God. And so Jesus he tells them if anyone desires to be first he shall be last of all and servant of all in verse 36 then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them and we had taken and when he had taken him in his arms he said to them in verse 37 whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me now Look what's happening here. We have the adult disciples and they're having a little kerfuffle. They're disputing, you know, who is the greatest. And then our Lord, our Savior and King, He further instructs them illustratively. So there's a group of people and children are present and then our Lord, He takes a little boy and holds him. And the adult disciples, they're observing this having just disputed about who's greater. And look what our Lord says. Our Lord says in verse 37, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. Notice, no period. No period. There's more. And whoever receives me, receives not me. And that seems odd. Our Lord says that such a person receives him. Then he says, does not receive him. And it seems strange. How is this reconciled? And so Jesus says, such a person receives not me, but him who sent me. Whoa. You see? Something bigger is revealed. Such a simple, simple, simple verse. But oh my goodness, so deep. So profound and yet so simple. So simple. And this is going to, this is, you know, later we're going to see this be buttressed by something else Jesus says. He's going to say it a little bit more in the future from the Mark 9 era. Where he teaches and says, I and my father are one. You see? And this isn't something that's bigger than conceptually because we see someone who is bigger remember the adult disciples they were just disputing about who would be greatest and then Jesus instructs them illustratively and he says you have to be last you have to serve and then he picks up a little child and says you have to receive the little ones and these disciples, we see them in their spiritual infancy, things that they didn't understand. And these are things that they later understand when they themselves, when they grow and they mature and they're baptized with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit, where we later see them as apostles, where we see their students first and there's their messengers later when they're apostles. All of them, except for one, except for one who quenched and extinguished things holy and was used and indwelt by Lucifer. You see? I mean, when you read Acts, the book of Acts and the epistles, and you might remember our studies if you've been walking with us for a while, it shouldn't be strange to read about these beautiful messengers when they were rejoicing at persecution. When they weren't balking at rejection, not fearing death even. With Peter, Paul, John, James. They serve and they're rejected. They pour and they become last. And look how they are with the little ones. Look how they are with the children. Remember little Timmy? Remember little Timmy, the parents and the the grandma, they say, Paul, we've maxed out our training. Take our son. Can you take our son? Can you take little Timmy? And Paul doesn't say, hey, get this little pipsqueak away from my presence. Paul doesn't say that. Get him out of here. He's uneducated. Get him out of here. He didn't go to Bible college. Get him out of here. He didn't go to seminary. Paul doesn't say that. Paul takes little Timmy and trains him. And little Timmy becomes deadly, the good deadly. You see? Timothy. Remember, Jesus is the one who teaches us. And he tells us you have to be last, you have to serve, and you have to receive the little ones. And since we have the full counsel of the word of God and we account for the it is also written, we can add even more to this holy recipe things that Peter teaches us about, things that Paul teaches us about, things that John teaches us about, things that James teaches us about. And when that holy recipe is right, when that holy formula is right in accordance to the word of God, you see, Jesus, Father, and Spirit. You know what that is? Elohim. Elohim. So holy, ultra-holy, beyond ultra-holy, so holy, but also so simple. So simple. Remember, Jesus, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't say, hey, believe in me and, you know, you know pass the calculus exam. He doesn't say that. Follow me and you got to get 100% on the SAT. He doesn't say that. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So simple, so simple, but very intricate. The blueprints are very intricate. The instruction is very intricate with multiple layers, you know, multiple layers of the, it is also written, but where are the shepherds? Where are the shepherds today? We have, you know, Jesus says, you know, You have to be last, you have to serve, and you have to receive the little ones. And today, we have pastors, they want to be first, they want to be served, and they devour the little ones. You see? I mean, you consider uh, Eunice and Lois with little Timmy. You know, Paul, can can you take little Timmy? You know, we've maxed out our training. Can you take little Timmy? And Paul doesn't say, get this little pipsqueak away from me. No, he says, sure. Let me take you under my wing. And parents today, to what shepherd can you say that? To what shepherd can you say, hey, take my son and train him? To what shepherd can you say, take my daughter and train her? To what shepherd can you say that to? You can't. You can't. Because the shepherds have become wolves, exactly like we see in, in, in Acts chapter 20. Remember the elders of Ephesus, the Miletus meeting? You can't do that. We have a plethora of Eli's. But no Paul's. No John's. No James's. Where are they? Remember what the Bible says. What brother Peter prophesied. That God's judgment comes first to the church. First to the church, first to the church. And everyone wants to talk about the rapture. Oh, we're going to be raptured out of here. Oh, the world, hell on earth. But we're going to be raptured before that happens. We're going to be raptured. It happens before the 70th week. It happens before the tribulation. Why would God hurt his bride? We're going to be raptured. The Bible says judgment comes first to the church. But how can this happen if the church is raptured? You see, the theory doesn't fit. We must account for the future tense of Elijah. Remember, we studied it in this very chapter. And everything must align perfectly. Every jot, every tittle, there must be perfect alignment. In order to be sound doctrine, you see, In order to be sound. Because remember, the scribes, they have doctrine. They have doctrine. But it wasn't sound doctrine. You see? Because they were teaching as doctrine something that wasn't even in the Bible. It was passed down. Tradition. Passed down by tradition. Oh, my great-grandpappy told me this, so therefore it is true. Well, what if great-grandpappy was wrong? You see? How did he teach his son? And how did he teach his son? And how did he teach you? Oh, but surely mom and dad love me. Surely mom and dad love me. But what if mom and dad are wrong? You see? Very important to understand. It all has to align perfectly. Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. And so here in Mark chapter 9 and, you know, thus far in our studies in the book of Mark, look at the children that have been healed so far. From the unclean spirits, from the demons, and even from death. Remember, baby girl in, in, with the, uh, 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 the daughter of Jairus, the ruler of synagogue. Even from death, 12 years old. And Jesus has been showing the disciples by his own example. And let us not forget that demons, they don't spare the children. They do not spare the children. And so here in verse 38, now John answered him. John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. Now, I don't want to get heavy into demonology. I don't want to get heavy in that topic. You know, if... if, if, Perhaps you know in future studies we could go deeper and much deeper if we were in face-to-face fellowship, we'd go way deeper. But the reason why we don't go heavy into this topic, it's for your safety. For your safety. Because things demonic, things satanic, it's not anything to play around with. It's not any, it's very serious business. Now, with demons. They leave a person because of the name of Jesus and or the wielder of the sword. The demons leave a person because of the name of Jesus and or the wielder of the sword. Understand that with the demons, there's a power structure varying degrees of strength. Let's say, for example, you're in a car. You're in your car and you see a spider. You open your window, flick it out. You can even kill it. You see a spider, okay, you know, put the window down, bing, spider's gone. But then let's say, you know, you're in your car, you look in the rearview mirror and you see straight up a grizzly bear in the back seat. You can't flick that. You can't kill it. And it's similar with the demons, where the demons, some are weaker, like the spider that you can flick. And some are strong, some are super strong, like the grizzly bear. And with the grizzly bear, very, very, very large majority cannot defeat, cannot flick. You look at the disciples, you know, several chapters ago. You know, they were given power over unclean spirits. But then this one in chapter 9 with the boy. There was more strength with this demon. You know, several chapters ago, Jesus gave, gave the disciples power over unclean spirits. And they would go into, into homes and teach and preach. But then here in chapter 9, they didn't have that ability. And so we see this power structure of the demonic realm. We see certain abilities of the demonic realm. When Jesus says, you know, this kind, only through prayer and fasting. You see? With the boy, the beautiful, beautiful boy, this beautiful, beautiful boy crashing on the ground, being thrashed on the ground, and it was so bad that the people thought he was dead. And since he was a child, the demon, you know, took him into the fire. Tried to burn him. I meant burn him to death. I wonder how many times he actually was in the fire where the parents had to run and put him out. I wonder how many times, you know, beautiful, beautiful boy was in the lake. Jumped in the lake because the demon wanted to kill him. And, you know, dad had to run in there and jump in the water. Mom had to run there, jump in the water to save her son, to save his son. I wonder how many times that did happen because when the dad gave the report to Jesus, you know, since childhood, you know, if there was a fire, boom, my son was there. Or if there was water, boom, my son was there because the demon wanted to kill him. You see, demons don't care about age. Old guy, the demon could go in. Old lady, middle-aged lady, the demon could go in. The child, the demon can go in. You know, one-year-old, two-year-old, demon can go in. Without the proper covering, the demons can enter whatever vessel they want without the proper covering. You see? And the demons know. The demons know all about covering. And so you see, the disciples, they they had power over unclean spirits, but they were powerless against this particular one with the boy here in chapter 9. And then we also see here in chapter 9 that demons are cast out in the name of Jesus. The very thing that the disciples are saying, like, hey, you know, we saw someone who doesn't follow us. In verse 38, this guy, he doesn't follow us, but he was casting out demons in your name. And we forbid him because he does not follow us. And Jesus says, don't forbid him. Don't forbid him because, you know, no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. So what's happening? What's happening? The disciples, they cite this like, wait a second, you know, this guy is casting out demons at the name of Jesus. But then also we see something else. If you've been walking with us for a while, we see, remember our study in the book of Acts with the sons of Siva? The sons of Siva, they were trying to do the same thing, cast out demons at the name of Jesus, and they couldn't. we see the, the demons we understand that they have power and strength a structure of power and strength the weaker demons they leave a person at the name of Jesus but the stronger demons they do not leave at the name of Jesus unless the one who wields the sword has a very specific formula you see so the guys in verse thirty-eight, they're flicking spiders. With the sons of Siva, that was a grizzly bear. You see, just like the car example, you gotta you're you're in your car, you see a spider, you know, you could either kill it, you know, and boom, it's gone, or you put your window down and ping, you flick it, spider's gone, piece of cake. You're in your car, you look in the rearview mirror, and there's you know the grizzly bear in the back seat. Now you can't flick that guy. You cannot flick the grizzly bear. You see? It's not a spider. And that grizzly bear is going to kill you. Unless you are properly trained and properly equipped and straight up deadly. You see? And so the disciples, they see like, wait a second. This guy's casting out demons, but he doesn't follow us. And you see what's happening is that Whoever it is, he's like flicking the spiders, piece of cake. And those demons are leaving because of the name of Jesus. You see? But then you look at the sons of Siva. They attempted to cast out demons, but they couldn't. Why is it? Why is it that with the sons of Siva and here in chapter 9 and verse 38, why is it that we see one, but it doesn't apply to the other? Well, you have to look at the demons, the power structure of the demons. I'm a spider and a grizzly bear. That's a, that's a major power difference. But we see that in the demonic realm too. Just like with the disciples. They they had power over unclean spirits. But they were powerless with the demon that was in the boy. You see? The sons of Siva, that was the grizzly bear. Straight up, grizzly bear. And with the demon that was you know, in that guy, that, that demon mocked them and defeated them. But then that demon revealed something that demon revealed who he knew where the demon says Jesus I know Paul I knew or you know Jesus I know Paul I know but who in the world are you guys you see the demon knew the sword and the demon knew who wielded the sword you see Demons, they know all about formula. Demons, they know all about covering and spiders. Piece of cake. That's easy. And, you know, n- not in a prideful sense. Like, oh, you know, piece of cake, you know, bring it on. No, no, very serious business. That's, you know, we don't get heavily on the topic of demonology. And, you know, we refrain from that. You know, if we were in face to face fellowship, we would go deeper. But coverings matter. Coverings are a big deal. The demons, they don't mind milk-drinking Christians. They do not mind milk-drinking Christians. You know why? Do you remember what we studied about the seed? The cares of the world, the things of the world, the things of this life? It's only a matter of time before a person falls away. And the demons can use that to their advantage. Satan can use the milk-drinkers to their advantage. Why? To make a reproach. Out of Christians. Remember our study in 1 in, uh, 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 Samuel? To make reproach out of Israel? Same tactics. Same tactics. And sometimes you hear about Catholic priests. And they cast out demons. They have so-called ministries. Ministries for exorcisms. And I'll tell you what they do the catholic priest oh look he's casting out demons oh look yeah they have this ministry for casting out look they have this ministry for exorcisms you know what's happening number one it's either a farce and completely made up or the priests they're flicking spiders you see and the demons when they flick sp- or the the priests when they flick spiders the demons don't leave on account of the priest. The demons leave, the the little demons, the, the spider demons, they leave only because of the name of Jesus. You see? The weaker demons, they leave only at the name of Jesus. But the grizzlies, they're not going anywhere. You see? Why? Because the priests don't wield the sword. Very serious business. We specifically don't get into the topic of demonology for a reason it's because coverings matter very specific reasons why we say what we say when you're in a fellowship where the formula is right you're gonna have an overseer that's a holy covering and it is safe for you it's just like kids and parents children when the you know the covering of mom and dad is when it's holy when that formula is right it's safe for the children Demons aren't going to go into those children. Why? Because demons know all about covering. You see? But if mom and dad want to get drunk and, you know, they're gambling and the strippers and the alcohol and the Ouija boards, hey, it's a free-for-all. The demons know. The demons can go into mom. The demons can go into dad. The demons can go into baby girl. Oh, but she's two years old that's nice demons don't care you see very serious stuff spiritual warfare understanding the things of the pneumos and we would go much deeper in things you know regarding spiritual warfare much deeper very serious stuff very serious business And face-to-face fellowship, we would go way deep. Demons, whether spider-sized or grizzly, or even bigger, or even much bigger. There is a very specific formula, ultra-specific, for them to be cast out. Remember the, the grizzly bear with the sons of Siva? They didn't have a huge list of Christians to read. They didn't start, you know, reading about you know all these believers and all these Christians. No, they didn't. They didn't, you know, break out their list and say, you know, I know Jesus, I know this guy, 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 this lady, this lady, this lady, this lady. The demon didn't say that. The demon said, I know Jesus, I know Paul. That's a pretty small list. That's a pretty tiny list. You see? And the demon says, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who in the world are you guys? You see, they can say Jesus all they want, but that grizzly bear is going to laugh because that's a powerful demon. And he beat the sons of Siva. One demon beat up many. And so let's not forget here, the grizzly here in Mark 9 with the boy didn't spare the boy. He tried to kill the boy by drowning or by, you know, taking the boy into the fire. Multiple attempts since the boy was a young child. Very serious business, life and death stuff. I meant parents, parents, grizzly bears can possess your kids, the demons, the grizzly bear demons, they can possess your kids, even the spider demons, they can possess your kids. And from within, if a demon gets into your child, from within, they seek to destroy your kid, they seek to corrupt, they seek to destroy, it's like spiritual cancer. And it grows and grows and grows and boom, night. the Grizzlies' work is done and the kids are dead. You see? And a lot of parents are in very, very serious trouble because, you know, parents, and if you're a parent, I love you, but it's got to be said. And so parents, they like to say, well, you know, my, my children are not at the age of accountability yet, so they're okay. Baby girl is only three years old, so she's okay. Let me tell you something, parents. If you hold that mentality, leave your pastor. Leave your pastor straight up. You cannot submit to such a pastor because he's taught you error. Baby girl might not have reached an age of presumed accountability. So you know who's left? The parents. The parents. And parents like to say it all the time. Oh, baby girl, she's not at the age of accountability. Listen, that only points to the parental accountability. Parental accountability. That's on you, mom. That's on you, dad. But there's something else. The demons, they don't care about accountability. They don't care about that. They don't care if baby girl's two years old. Remember what we've been what we've been studying in our in, in the book of Mark. We see demons inside of children, young children, little boy since he was a little child. And the grizzlies can enter baby girl at age two and make repeated attempts to kill her. Over and over, repeatedly making an attempt, making attempts, making attempts, making attempts. And then when baby girl reaches the presumed age of accountability, it's already too late. It's already too late. You know why? Because the grizzly has her. And it's only a matter of time before she succumbs to attack after attack after attack. An onslaught of attack after attack after attack. What do you think her mind is going to look like? What do you think her mind is going to look like after attack after attack after attack and no victory? You see? And parents, oh, the Bible says we're victorious. The Bible says no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And to that I say amen. Amen. Absolutely. The Bible absolutely says that. But what is also written. The holy recipe, the holy formula is required. The effectuation of God's promise for victory. Remember Old Testament study where the Lord just straight up says, Hey, the battle's not yours anymore. The battle's mine. I got it. I'll take it from here. You see? Formula. Look at the millions and millions and millions of churches we have today. But where is it where the right formula can be found? That holy recipe, training and equipping in the ways of righteousness for, not to be awesome, it's for the work of the ministry. Remember when Paul explained his phobia in Corinth, Galatia? When Peter explained his phobia. Paul explains his phobia. What was it? That saints would put up with the false teachers. And it wasn't at the time of the end when he said that. When when Paul says, you know, I'm afraid for you. Because the preacher guys are going to come in with another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. And Paul says, I'm afraid for you because when that happens, you're going to put up with it. But for the last day's generation, in addition to that phobia, in addition to that threat, the false teachers with another Jesus and another spirit and another gospel, in addition to that, in the last days, we can add even more. And you know what that is? In addition to the propagators, the Unholy messengers that come with another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. In addition to that, the Holy Spirit will be lifted. The evil, satanic, and demonic realm, they're going to be fully operational at peak performance because they they know their time is short. You see, coverings matter. Coverings matter big time. And these are things that the Lord teaches us about the last days, the last days generation. Very specific formula, very specific blueprints. You ask a pastor, you you don't roll out a map on a big table, a big map on a big table. You ask the pastor, hey, pastor, how do I get from, you know, uh, 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 Tennessee to Los Angeles, California? And the pastor says, hmm, well, I see a lake over here. I see a desert over here. I see a mountain over here. Well, let's, you know, from Tennessee to Los Angeles, let's go east. Let's see what happens. Let's go east and see what happens. You see? Fools. It's just like the scribes where they can can cite Elijah. But they can't discern Elijah. And you have the stupid pastors today. They can discern the mountain. Like the map. They can discern, okay, here's a lake over here. Or they can they can see it, they can see the mountain, but they can't discern directionally. They can sight the mountain, they can sight the, the lake. But they have no discernment, you see, to know how to get from Tennessee to Los Angeles. It's just like the book of Judges, nothing new under the sun. It's just like here in the gospel, look at the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, look at them. We have a priesthood. But they've become corrupt. They've corrupted themselves. We look at the book of Judges, we see that how that happens. Idolatry. Idolatry. Which, you know, it's like stepping stones, idolatry. You see more wickedness. You see more wickedness. You see more wickedness. And then, boom. Remember the gang rape in the book of Judges? And then you see there's blood in all 12 tribes of Israel. Blood in all 12 tribes. 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 Remember Mark chapter 5? Remember 12 and 12? The two females? Remember the Lord of the Sabbath? Remember immortality? Remember only one shining? The word of the Lord testifies. Coverings matter big time. And so the disciples, what happens here in Mark chapter 9, they tell Jesus that they saw a person casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And what was happening is the disciples, they saw a guy who was flicking the spiders. And the demons were leaving because of the name of Jesus. And the disciples, they forbid him to do that. And then Jesus says in verse 39, don't forbid him. Do not forbid him for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil for evil of me for he who is not against us is on our side now this is where some theories they get crazy straight up crazy looney town and that's what you see among the lutherans the methodists and the episcopals you know they say you know what's the big deal we're on the same side god is love god is love we're on the same side When a miracle happens in the name of Jesus, it's kind of like with the demons. It happens because of the name of Jesus and or the wielder of the sword. And when a miracle happens, the worker of that miracle can't speak evil of Jesus. And this is where we see a little bit of a trap. Because the worker is caught. The worker is caught. Remember, the worker of the miracle can't speak evil of Jesus. So the worker is caught. The worker cannot speak evil of Jesus. And that can be seen as something good. And it is good. But it's also not good. Because now what happens is the worker is without excuse. The worker is without excuse. For example, for example, say a person works a miracle in the name of Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. Because when that happens, a person can take the steps that lead them into deeper truths and deeper understandings and deeper intimacy with Jesus, where the person can understand much more about the name of Jesus and wielding the sword. And that's a good thing. That's, when, that's the good trap. But let's say, for example, another person works a miracle in the name of Jesus. But then the person takes advantage of God's grace and mercy. The work was because of the name of Jesus and not because of wielding the sword. And then later on down the road, the person will say, when he's standing before the Lord, We cast out demons in your name. We did all these things in your name. And Jesus will respond, Depart from me. I never knew you. You see? In both cases, the worker cannot speak evil of Jesus. But yet, for one, in these examples, for one, it is good because the intimacy grew deeper. But for the other, it is bad because he's condemned and without excuse. You see, understand, you know, we're we're studying the book of Mark, but we're looking at the book of Mark, accounting for many, it is also written. And when you do that, you have sound doctrine, you see. Don't forget, knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. Knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. Remember with Paul? You think of the well of knowledge that Paul was as a former Pharisee of Pharisees. What he could do? He would straight up go into synagogue and straight up handle business and prove that Jesus is the Messiah and using their text. He would prove that Jesus is the Messiah. He would go into the hornet's nest. Wealth of knowledge. A gift of the Spirit. But. When he entered Corinth. On purpose. He didn't enter with that wealth of knowledge. He didn't give that wealth of knowledge. Why? Because they were babies. New believers. But then after three years. He says listen. I wish I could give you. Deeper things. But after three years. I can't why is it because of the lord no is it because of me no it's because of you he says to the saints it's because of you because after three years you're still on milk you see very important to understand you know when we look at the book of mark we're we're studying the book of mark we're studying the gospel of mark But we're accounting for many, it is also written. And, you know, don't be discouraged. You know, sometimes I have these conversations with believers. And they're like, you know what, I'm I'm a new believer. I don't know the Bible. Listen, praise be to the Lord. Milk is beautiful, but for babies. Milk is a, a beautiful, beautiful diet for babies. But then, you know, being a baby, what happens is spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, spiritual understanding. And these are things that happen when the formula is right in a church body. People say, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I've never read the book of Revelation. It's like, well, who who in the world is your pastor? Leave. Leave. I've been a Christian for 30 plus years and I've never heard that before. Who in the world is your pastor? You see? And so Jesus says here in verse 40, For he who is not against us is on our side. And there are a lot of theologies that get this wrong. And you see it among the Lutherans, Episcopals, the uh, uh, Methodists, modern day Methodists. And they say, God is love, God is love. Look, he's for everyone. We're all on the same side. And this is where you get into universalism, which is False doctrine, tradition of fools. And this is where translations matter. In, among you know, other areas, this trans, translations matter. Remember Alexandrian? Alexandrian and anything after, you know, post-Alexandrian. You're getting further away from the manuscript. So, you know, pre-Alexandrian, it's safer doctrine. But, you know, we always look at original manuscripts, Aramaic, uh, uh, Hebrew, Greek. And then also, don't forget, Septuagint math. And so translations matter and original manuscripts matter because here in verse 40, when Jesus says, for he who is not against us is on our side, it's better translated as he who is not against us is for our sake or for our cause. So it's not, you know, this guy is not against us, so he's automatically a Christian, No, that's where you get into universalism. And that's crazy town. You know that, you know, God is love. God is love. So, you know, however you want to, you know, do your love. Oh, God is love. God is for that. No, no, no. The word of God teaches us about holy love. Holy love. you get all kinds of acts of wickedness and abominations. And hey, you know, it's okay. You know, I'm Episcopal. It's okay. Oh, look, I'm Lutheran. It's okay. Oh, look, I'm Methodist. It's okay. You read the Bible. You understand? No, it's not okay. It's not universalism. It's not this guy is not against us. So, okay, he's automatically a Christian. Now, you know what it is? It's this guy is not against us, which means our cause can go forth. You see, we can work the field. The harvest is plentiful. A big, vast field. The harvest is so plentiful. We can work in the vast field. Our cause can continue. And what is our cause? Christ. Jesus. Verse 40 doesn't teach universalism. What verse 40 teaches is opportunity for the worker. Listen, if you're listening and you're presently Episcopal, Lutheran, Methodist, repent. Repent, 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 repent. And jump ship. Jump ship. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus and commit your life to the biblical Jesus whose word is above his name. If you're presently Episcopal Lutheran Methodist, no, there's a better way. Jump ship and commit your life to the biblical Jesus and then tell all your friends. In verse 41, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Remember, the Lord, he sees everybody. He sees everything. Good works, good works are not reserved for Christians only. Good works are not reserved for Christians only. And this is where we get to the heart, because motives are exposed, and these are things that the Lord sees. You see, good works aren't reserved for Christians only. Remember Cornelius in the book of Acts? The Lord, through an angel, told Cornelius to listen to Peter and to heed Peter. And it was told to Cornelius before the Lord told Peter. You see? And so the eyes of the Lord, they see everything. And it's very important to see and remember and know how the Lord works. And how good works are not reserved for the Christian only. And sometimes it's through good works that can soften a heart and prepare a heart to receive the good news. Good works can prepare a heart. For the day of visitation. Remember Brother Peter's letters? For the day of visitation. And we see that with Cornelius. His good works seen by the Lord. And the Lord says, you know what? Peter's going to come to you and you listen to Peter. Heed what Peter says to you. And he tells Cornelius what's going to happen. He tells Cornelius before he tells Peter. You see? When the non-believer knows you're a Christian... A person who's not a Christian, when that person knows you're a Christian, the non-believer, when they know you're not, when they know you're a Christian, and that person shows you kindness, these are things that accrue to the benefit of the non-believer. You see, I mean, for example, I know non-believers. I know non-believers who straight up, they hate Christians. They hate church. They hate pastors. And you know what they tell me? They say, you know, I don't like Christians. I don't like church. I don't like pastors. I turn on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, and I don't like what I see. But then non-believers, they tell me, but you're different. You're different. And... What's happened with me and these individuals, in some cases, in a lot of cases, they've done good works to me. I've been on the receiving end of good works. Sometimes it's a meal. Sometimes it's, you know, something really nice. They've shown me acts of kindness and they know that I'm a Christian. And they don't like Christians. They don't like church. They don't like pastors. And they know that I'm a Christian. And yet, they've shown me and done good works to me. And in my heart of hearts, I rejoice. Because I know something's happening in the Numos. We can chip away at hard hearts. You can take a hard heart and chip away at hard hearts. By our good works. You know, they they have works and some of those works are good. Some of those works are wicked, but some of those works are good. And when a person, when you're on the receiving end. Just like we see, you know, when the Lord sees everything. Just like with, you know, uh, when a a person's heart is hard. But at the same time, when they show kindness. When they show a form of kindness, these are things that can chip away at a heart, at a hard heart. And it happens through our good works. And it happens by what is also given to us, the fruit of the Spirit. And also gifts of the Spirit. You talk to non-believers. And you see how you, sometimes the non-believers they up, You know, I hate Christians. I don't like church. I don't like pastors. I don't like this. And, but you're different. There's something different about you. And then they tell me, if you're ever in a pinch, you know, give me a call. You're on the highway. You get a flat tire. Give me a call. I'll give you a tow. You know, you're ever in a pinch. You know, give me a call. I'm here. And some of these people, I mean, they're pretty colorful characters, you know. But praise be to the Lord, you and me, what happens? By the fruit of the Spirit that's in us. We can chip away at hard hearts and prepare our heart for their day of visitation. You see? Gifts of the spirit, power of the spirit, fruit of the spirit. And it's so beautiful. When we see spiritual warfare, when when, when Paul, he's such a, a warrior, a mighty warrior. And Paul goes into synagogue and he speaks, he's so bold. And he proves from the ancient text that Jesus is the Messiah. And they want to kill him. They want to use the law to be him and kill him. And what happens like whoa, he's so bold. Well, look what he's saying. It's like, whoa, he's he's so bold. But then outside synagogue, they put him in chains. It's like, where his where where is his boldness? He was bold in synagogue, but here when they put him in chains, he just takes it. They put him in jail. And there he is in prison, bound. What does he do? Is he trying to escape? Is he cussing people out? Is he cursing at the jailers? Is he cursing at the guards? Is he shouting? Is he conspiring with the other prisoners? Hey, let's bust out of here. No, he doesn't do that. You can see the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because he's rejoicing, singing songs and praises and hymns to the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord. The earthquake happens. Remember, there's an the earthquake and, you know, the jailer, he assumes that all the prisoners fled. But no, that doesn't happen. The jailer was going to kill himself. The jailer was going to kill himself. So, okay, look, you know, you know, I'm in charge of the prison. I have these prisoners. I have charge over these prisoners. They all escape. So I'm a dead guy. So before that happens, before they kill me, I'm just going to kill myself. And then he's about to kill himself. And then he hears a voice. Hey, don't kill yourself. We're still here. We're still here. What? What is that? What is that? You Think of the colorful characters in prison. <laughs> you know, think of all the colorful characters in prison. Curse words, language that wasn't holy. I mean, they're in prison, so they, they did something. And yet they become believers. They become Christians, and their day of visitation, hearing songs sung unto the Lord. You see, because you understand the pneumos, you understand that planting seeds—it's so holy, it's so holy, it's so holy—and then you look at the wielder of the sword in Paul. Training little Timmy, hey little Timmy, we're gonna circumcise you because you remember he had, he was you know mixed blood, Jew and Gentile, you know, mixed parents. And so, you know, by by Jewish law, he could not enter synagogue and be with Paul. He would have to be in the area of the Gentiles. Then you know the, the, there was the area for Jews, but then there was the, the area for women, but then there was also an area for Gentiles. And so Paul says, Okay, we're gonna circumcise you. And so Paul circumcises little Timmy. And so little Timmy, because he's circumcised, now he can go into synagogue and be right there with Paul, right in the heat of battle, right in the mix. Paul says, hey, little Timmy, sit down right here. You're going to watch me handle some serious business. And it's not so Paul, so Paul can say, hey, Timothy, you're going to watch me be Mr. Big Shot. No. It's because Paul knows little Timmy, he's going to fill those sandals. Well, his own sandals. But he's going to be an overseer over the saints. And so little Timmy has to know how to shepherd and learn how to shepherd, learn how to fight, and learn how to be effective in combat. And so there Paul is. Oh, he's so bold. Look at Paul go. He's so bold. He's so bold. He's so bold. He gets outside. They put him in chains. Well, let's see if it's the boldness of his mouth, if it's matched with the boldness of his fists. And just waiting there, you know, eating popcorn. Like, okay, let me see. He's gonna, you know, the right hook. You know, the you know, a left jab. What's he gonna do? You know, uppercut here. He's gonna kick him. What's he gonna do? It's like, whoa, Paul. Look, the chains are going on his wrist. Look, the stocks on his on his ankles. Look, there he goes. I thought he was a tough guy. He's not so tough. And he's in prison. There he is with a bunch of colorful characters. And he doesn't fight according to the flesh. He's not cussing the jailers out. He's not saying, hey, guys, let's bust out of here. He's not trying to, you know, make connections and network with the prisoners and say, okay, when this guard comes, you know, you take him out. I'm going to kick him here. And, you know, we're going to break his arms over here. And then, you know, we're going to take his keys and, you know, we're going to bust everybody out. And then we're just going to bust out of here. And, you know, we're free. We're free. We're free. Because, no, Paul knows that's not freedom. That's bondage. That's bondage. Why? Because a person is still in sin, and the jailer is gonna commit. The the, the the earthquake comes, and there's the you know the opening, and the jailer just figures, wow, everybody, you know, they they've all ran away, you know, so I'm gonna get killed, you know. They don't the 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 political establishment. They don't play games. I'm gonna be killed. I'm a dead guy, so I'm gonna kill myself. I'm gonna beat him to the punch, and I'm gonna kill myself. And you hear a voice. Don't do that. Don't do that. And what happens they become christians they become christians you have the prisoners and you have the jailer and you have a church you have a fellowship of believers you see with carnal eyes you can see in synagogue Whoa, like Paul is so bold, Paul is so bold. And with carnal eyes, you look at the prison, Paul is so weak, Paul is so weak, Paul is so weak. But with spiritual eyes, you can see Paul is planting seeds. He goes to synagogue, he's planting seeds and the Lord is giving increase. Paul goes to prison and he's planting seeds and the Lord gives increase because he fights not according to the flesh. He fights according to the spirit. Very important to understand how the word of God teaches us and what the word of God says, understanding formula and the power of the Holy Spirit. The seal of the Holy Spirit and the believer can have absolute confidence in the seal of the Holy Spirit, but it has a very specific formula. People say, Oh, look, the Bible says I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore I'm crucified with Christ. Come, come on. Let's go get drunk. I'm crucified with Christ, let's go see the strippers. I'm crucified with Christ, let's go do the Buddha. I'm crucified with Christ, let's go gambling. Listen, that's not crucifixion. That's not crucifixion because you know what? The old guy, he's still alive. The old man, he's still alive. The old woman, she's still alive. That's the flesh and she's alive and well. That's the flesh and he's alive and well. And you know what that is? That's not crucified with Christ. You see? Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Very specific formula. It's available for all of us. But whether or not it's applicable to us depends on you, depends on me. For oneself, you see very important to understand. And so when we look at the book of Mark and we study the Gospels, we account for that it is also written and we see something so beautiful. The narrow way. The narrow path. And Jesus, he continues to teach and you know he points back to the children in verse 42. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... Very interesting what he says here. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. And in the Greek. In the Greek. It's to stumble. But it's to entice to sin. And to entice into apostasy. To entice to sin. And to entice into apostasy. Now. When you look at the war on kids today. You look at the war on kids today, 2023 AD in our era, kids today are under major attack all around the world. And I presently teach from America and all over the world in the Western world and in America, kids are in under major, major, major attack. And Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, Which is to stumble, to entice to sin, and to entice into apostasy. Now, in our day, in 2023 AD, there's the kinetically obvious, what the eye can see. But then there's another. There's what I cannot see. And that's the open door into apostasy. The open door into apostasy. Where today... You have what's called the community of faith. Good old community of faith. Oh, the community of faith. Oh, look, you know, the, the religious people. And this community of faith, what we see today in 2023 AD, the community of faith, they rally together against cultural shifts. Cultural shifts that we see in the marketplace today. And you have the community of faith that rallies together against these shifts. And it has the appearance of something good. It has the appearance of something right. It has the appearance of fighting the good fight. But what other doors are opened? What the parents say to baby girl, baby girl, baby girl, we're not going to attend the story hour at the library baby girl we're not going to shop at that store anymore baby girl we're not going to eat from this restaurant anymore baby girl we're not going to go to this amusement park anymore baby girl instead let's go to this church and pray the rosary baby girl instead let's go to this church and let's pray to angels let's go to this church and let's pray to mary let's go to this church and learn a theology that replaces israel while calling god sovereign baby girl let's boycott this store because this store is dangerous and baby girl let's go worship mary where it's nice and safe baby girl let me take you through this door. Let me take you away from this door where it is dangerous, but let me take you through this other door where we can become apostates. You see what's happening? And the biblical Jesus, whose word is above his name, what does he say? Whoever it is that causes a little one to stumble, entice to sin or to enter apostasy Jesus the biblical Jesus whose word is above his name says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea Whoa, that's heavy that's heavy that's seriously heavy when you look at the kinetic war on children today in these last days, parents, you look at the community of faith, you look at the kinetic war on children with the story hours, with the amusement parks, with the, you know, the stores. They have their agendas. And it's all leading up to this. It's all Antichrist. It's all Antichrist spirit. That's what it is. It's the rise of Satan. It's the rise of the demons. It's the rise of the Numos, the evil aspect of the pneumos, the rise of wickedness. The rise of Magog and Gog and Magog. Look at all these things that are happening for such a time as this. And you have pastors who teach about fighting according to the flesh, according to the flesh. And a pastor who teaches Christians how to fight according to the flesh is disarming Christians because our fight is according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. So you have pastors telling congregations, join in these communities of faith, Join with the Episcopals, join with the Lutherans, join with the Catholics, join with the Calvinists, join with the Reformed, join with them because we have to fight against this cultural shift. We have to stand up for what is right. We have to make a stand. And you have these pastors that are teaching how to fight according to the flesh. And you know what those congregations are? Casualties waiting to happen. Casualties waiting to happen. Why? Wrong formula. We're not in Old Testament. We don't fight according to the flesh. This isn't Old Testament. We are a people of the New Covenant. You see? And parents, you know, pastor says, oh, you know what? Join with the Catholics and fight against this. Join with the Episcopals and fight against this. Join with the Calvinists and fight against this. And it has the appearance of something good. It's like, wow, you know, look, our our culture is, our society is changing. We have to fight against it. But what does the Bible say? Righteousness exalts a nation. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, would humble themselves would humble themselves and repent and seek my face. Thus saith the Lord, I will heal their land. That's what he says. I will heal their land. You have pastors who are teaching a carnal fight, and that's not how we fight. And you have parents in the pews. Okay, the pastor says, you know, the Bible says I have to submit to my pastor, so I'm going to submit to my pastor, and I'm going to join with the Catholics. Oh, baby girl, baby girl, we're not going to go to this store. Baby girl, we're going to boycott this store. Baby girl, we're going to boycott this amusement park. Baby girl, let's go pray the rosary. Baby girl, let's go worship Mary. You see what's happening? Satan doesn't fight fair. Satan doesn't play by any rules. The demons... You got the little spiders, they're you know, not in a prideful like they're a piece of cake, but they're a piece of cake, and that's not to be said in a prideful sense. But we're in the time of the grizzlies. And they don't care about kids. They want to kill kids. And parents can't fight. Parents don't know how to fight want to join with the Catholics. Parents want to join with the Calvinist. Parents want to join with the Episcopals. Oh, we're going to boycott. We're going to boycott. We're not going to go to the store. We're not going to go to the amusement park. We're going to gonna do this. But baby girl, let's go worship Mary. Look, baby girl, look, uh, baby girl, there's a, there's another over, a girl over there your age. Look, you can go play and do all these things. And you know, baby girl going to learn how to worship Mary. Baby girl's going to learn how to pray the rosary. You see? Baby girl's going to learn how to worship the queen of heaven. Baby girl's going to learn the ways of idolatry. Baby girl is going to learn the ways of the apostate. Not by what's boycotted. By her own parents. Why? Because you have stupid men at the pulpits. Teaching how to fight according to the flesh. People who have no business at the pulpit. Stupid, stupid, wicked, foolish men at the pulpit. Teaching how to fight. But that's not fight because we fight according to the spirit. We fight on our knees. And the Bible does say, the word of God does say, thus saith the Lord, I will heal your land. But there's very specific blueprints for that. It's righteousness that exalts a nation, you see? parents flee the lion and throw themselves and baby girl to the bear the big old grizzly you see behold the last days where in the world are the pastors you say but we have pastors we have pastors churches everywhere we have a a plethora of pastors but let me ask you a question Where can be found Abodah, Abodah Mishkan? Where? Now, if you're listening, go and listen to our study through Leviticus. You'll understand all about Abodah, Abodah Mishkan. You'll understand all about it. Where is that? Where are those men? Where are those pastors? They're out there. Very rare. In verse 43... If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than rather than having two hands to go to hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Why is it that pastors don't like to talk about hell? Why is that? Why is it that Christians say, don't tell non-believers about hell. Don't tell them about hell. We can love them into heaven. Don't scare non-believers into heaven. Why is that? Call me crazy. Call me crazy. Call me Looney Tunes. But when I read about never quenching hellfire damnation, that's scary. That's a pretty good motivator. And don't get me wrong, God's love is beyond beautiful. Beyond beautiful. And it's absolutely there. And it's absolutely available. But God's love is difficult to see in the midst of chaos and depravity. It's difficult to... You talk with a non-believer. You talk with like the straight-up ruffians in this world that don't know Christ, know nothing about Christianity, know nothing about the faith, and they're just straight-up ruffians. You talk to them about God's love? When they're not just in the world of chaos and depravity, they are chaos and depravity. You talk to them about God's love? They can't see it. They don't understand. You talk to non-believers today about God's love in the midst of this chaos and depravity and they'll laugh at you because they can see with their own eyes chaos and depravity in the world and sometimes they're even partakers of those things and God's love is laughable to the depraved. To the depraved. And there are false doctrines that say such people are predestined to hell. So let them burn. That's what these false doctrines teach. This is Calvinism and Reformed theology. Oh, they're predestined to hell. Let them burn. They glorify God by them. They burn in hell. They glorify God by burning. And what they say that it's better if they weren't even born. That's what. That's what this false doctrine teaches. There's a reason why you don't see evangelism with the Calvinists. You don't see evangelism with the Reformed. The reason why is because their doctrine says non-believers are predestined to hell. But their doctrine is also apostate. Apostate, straight up. Apostate. If you're Calvinist. If you're Reformed Calvinist, go to thewayunderground.com and then go to the Reformed area. You're, you're, you'll understand a lot more. And then tell all your Calvinist friends. Remember, in here in chapter 9 and verse 11 and 12, the scribes, the scribes were very right in citing Scripture, but they were very wrong in discerning the Scripture. And as a result, they were blind. You see? And that was the religious establishment then. But what about the, relig- the religious establishment today? They're still blind. And Jesus here, he's teaching and explaining the way. In verse 47, we see entry into the kingdom of God. In verse 47, the kingdom of God. And then in verse 43 and in verse 45, we see entry into life. But remember what he just said in verse 1. In verse 1. In verse 1, where our Lord and King and Savior says, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. And then he takes the three witnesses and he teaches them and shows them about the resurrection he's the only one shining and he teaches them and these three witnesses when they're Apostles they share this message and they have written their letters And these are letters that are captured in the canon of Scripture. And they write of holy matters. Teaching the ways of righteousness. God's kingdom is not unattainable. The way is narrow and he shows us. Verse 43 through 47, look what we see. We see the hand, the foot, and the eye. Where is it that your feet take you? What is it that your hands touch? What is it that your eyes see? And I don't want to get graphic, but you know the answers can be pretty bad, pretty evil, pretty depraved, pretty wicked. And that might be you. You're listening, you're not a believer? And after these prior calls to hit pause and commit your life to Christ, you just, "Eh, you know, that's nice. I'm just going to, you know, enjoy my sandwich and listen to this guy say what he's got to say. And that might be you listening. And where your feet have taken you, what your hands have touched, what your eyes have seen, it's pretty wicked. And you realize it, you see it. When you hear these Christians talk about God's God's love, God's love, God's love, God's love, God's love, God's love. And I'm not mocking the love of God, but because of chaos, because of depravity, it's very difficult to fathom God's love. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about hellfire damnation. You see? You continue in wickedness, you're going to burn in hell. And Christians get mad. Don't scare people to heaven. Don't scare people to heaven. Don't scare people to Jesus. No, let's just love them. Listen, if you're a Christian and that's your mentality, change your ways. Because we live in such depravity and wickedness and chaos in this world that people... Can't fathom God's love. If God is love, then why do we see this? If God is love, why do we see that? If God is love, then why, 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 why? Therefore, God is fake. They formulate these conclusions. So we just switch gears. Okay. You see the wickedness? You see the depravity? You see the chaos? You're a partaker of those things and in those things in various degrees? Okay. Okay. You continue down that path, you're going to burn in hell. Hello, lake of fire. Listen, it worked for me. I had Christians in my life tell me about God's love, and I laughed in their face because I was chaos. The sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, I was chaos. Hellfire damnation, that got my attention. And here we are, you and me. Study the Bible And if you're listening And you are chaos Your world is chaos Where your feet take you Your hands Your eyes It's nothing but wickedness And you know that You have a little smirk On your face Because you know That's evil Listen Everybody has a choice to make You continue down that path You're going to burn in hell Straight up I meant, remember, to the woman at the well, Jesus spoke about God's promises. He revealed himself as Messiah, and boom, the woman at the well, hey, she's on board. But to some people, the Lord doesn't speak like that. The Lord speaks about hellfire damnation. And boom, they have a choice to make. You see? And when the person sees that, okay, if I continue down that path, that's, you know, hellfire damnation, it's not to say that that person doesn't understand God's love. It's to say that that person doesn't understand God's love yet. You see, because the hellfire damnation, that's enough to rock somebody's world. It rocked my world. And I didn't understand God's love. All I understood is I don't want to burn in hell. And in the course of time, I realized, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, the Lord is truly love and I can see it. You go to the depraved and wicked today and you talk to them about about God's love? No, they're going to laugh at you. They might even beat you, slap you around a little bit. Some of them have demons. Some of them are grizzly bears. They're going to beat you. We're living at the time of the end. Satan and the demons, they know their time is short and they're not little spiders. No, they're grizzly bears and worse. And the bear, there's a very, very, very specific formula for victory. You see, you have pastors teaching how to fight a carnal fight, they're going to lose. Those are body bags waiting to happen. They're going to lose. When you see prophecies of the last days where Jesus says the days are going to be so bad that no flesh will be saved. You take the entirety of Christianity, all of the Christians, you take all of them. And in the last days, Jesus says it's going to be zero. No flesh will be saved. Even the elect, Jesus says it's going to be zero. You take all the Christians. I don't know how many there are, but there's a lot. And Jesus says there's going to be zero. No flesh will be saved in the last days. Except unless those days be shortened. You see? You see pastors teaching how to fight carnally. Body bags waiting to happen. You know what that is? They're teaching the ways of the apostates. Oh, yeah, go, you know, the the community of faith, we're going to rally and picket and do all these things. And baby girl, you know, in two weeks flat, she's going to be praying to Mary. And what does Jesus say? Anyone who causes baby girl to stumble. Anyone who causes a little one to stumble. Little boy, baby girl. You see? Very evil, wicked times. Very evil, wicked times. And if you're an agent of chaos, wickedness, your feet, your hands, your eyes, they engage in very wicked things. Listen, that was me. And I didn't learn to love the Lord at first. I learned to love the Lord in the course of time. What I learned was to fear the Lord, to fear Him big time. Because hellfire, damnation, lake of fire, eternal separation from the Lord, weeping, gnashing of teeth, that's scary. And you might be an agent of chaos, and you hear that, and that's scary for you. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning. You see? And if that's you, you're an agent of chaos and you know, like, you know, I don't want the lake of fire. I don't want to burn in hell. And if that's you, you don't want to burn in hell. Hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do that right now. Let me show you the way. Walk with me. Agent of chaos. Walk with me. You and me, let's be agents of righteousness. Workers of righteousness. Righteousness. Because the field is vast. The harvest is plentiful. But it's the workers who are few. Hit pause. Listen to the message. How to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ. You come back. You listen. And we journey together. You and me. Straight up. You and me. You say, oh, let me tell you about my chaos. I did this. I did that. I did this. And I say, I did worse. I don't talk about my past very much because it's shameful, utterly shameful. But the Lord cleaned me. He purified me. And I worship him. You see? sometimes to talk with these workers of wickedness. So you know I have these conversations, oh you don't you don't know what I've done. you know I' okay, like, eh, tell me, what did you do? And they open up and start to explain. you know I did that in third grade. Fifth grade. eighth grade. That's not so bad. And then a person realizes, whoa, it's not just bad, it's wicked. It's wicked. You continue down that path, hello, like a fire. You see? But praise be to the Lord. And sometimes it's the agents of chaos, the agents of wickedness, those who have been forgiven much, love much. You see? Change your ways. Change your ways. What do I want? Do I want your money? What is it? Do I say, go and listen to this? Do I do I say, go to thewayunderground.com and for your love gift of, you know, $49, $59.99. You know, for your love gift of $200, you can have access to this. It's there. It's free. What's my motivation? What is it? I don't want your money. I want to teach you the ways of righteousness in obedience to my king. You see? I meant, who in their right mind, who is it that in their right mind would build a mansion right next to an active volcano?
1: Who would do that?
0: Who would even pitch a tent near an active volcano? Who would do that? And pastors today, they attempt to remove the volcano. And their followers build and construct and pitch their tents where they think it's safe. After all, the pastor told them. The pastor said it was okay. You know, The pastor said, oh, look, this is safe. Build your house here. Have your foundation right here. Right next to this volcano. And everything is fine and dandy until the lava starts to flow. And that's what happens when pastors remove hell from the equation. People think they're safe. But the whole time, hellfire damnation, it's very real. You know, you know, oh, look, let's go to church. The pastor, he doesn't talk about hell. He doesn't talk about weeping and mashing of teeth. He doesn't talk about the foolish virgins. Look, we're all Christians, universalists, universalists. God is love, God is love. And we're all Christians. We're all Christians. Praise be to the Lord. Look, we can, you know, okay, you want to boycott this store? You want to boycott this amusement park? Okay, no big deal. Let's go worship Mary. Let's go pray the rosary. Let's go worship the queen of heaven. Good old Chaldea. Idolatry. And Jesus says to consider the millstone. You see? No, hell is very real. Hellfire damnation, very real. And Christians say, oh, don't scare people to heaven. Don't scare people. Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about hell. Why not? Jesus did. He's doing it right here in Mark 9. So does it mean we're to cut off our hands? Cut off our feet? Pluck the eye? You know what's better? For you and me to walk in the way. As outlined by the Good Shepherd. You see, let me show you the way, you and me, our journey to paradise, you and me. In verse 49, look what Jesus says. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Now we see parallels to the law. I mean, we've already seen some. I mean, you know, there's more. We've already seen it. But there's more when we think about fire and sacrifice. Remember our study in Leviticus? Nothing mangy. Remember? Nothing mangy, nothing mangy. How many times did we say that? And we say it still. Nothing mangy, nothing mangy. And before you think that this is a, a carnal endeavor, remember, it's the high priest that has sent the helper, the Holy Spirit. And before we think of the final fire, what about the fiery trials of life? Instead of the flames of condemnation, what about the flames of purification? What about the flames of refining? You see? But where is the priesthood of Melchizedek? Where in the world can be found Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan? Where? In verse 50. Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Remember, the disciples were just Arguing they were disputing who's greater who's greater who's greater and the Lord gives very specific blueprints And he doesn't end there he continues He continues in the what's recorded in the Gospels. He continues what's recorded in the epistles and we see it and we learn it our Lord shows us Many. have salt in yourselves Have peace with one another. you see? What a beautiful, beautiful, good shepherd we have. It's Jesus. Jesus, whose word is above his name, and he's the one. He shows us the way to the kingdom of our Father. Hallowed be his beautiful, glorious name. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.